guys, welcome back to the Cinema Talk podcast here on the Twisted Mug Media Network, and I should say the Cinema Talk Movie Journal. Um, I am one of your hosts, Ryan. And I'm Matthew. And uh, we're back with our favorite episode to do every year. Uh, it's a big big event for us. So it's a lot of fun. It's our top 20 films of 2019. Uh, it was a hell of a year, hell of a year in film, hell of a year for each of us. Um, you had some big things happen in your life starting college here yep. here at the University of Pittsburgh with me. Um, I had some weird, crazy shit happen just career-wise, which was fun, um, or future career-wise. And um, yeah, we watched a lot of movies. Yeah, uh, definitely you watched a lot more than I did. Um, I believe Floyd saw 84 movies. And 83. I, 83, and I saw 32. Um, oh, no. Yeah, 84. 84. 84, and I saw 32. This is definitely one of the lower years in movies for me and i think that's because i do college and just a lot of stuff going on but um i i have my top 20 list and i am unbelievably excited because as floyd said this is our favorite episode of the year so mm-hmm. i was looking forward to this it, it's so much fun to do i love there's no better feeling than just talking about movies that you love <laughs> yeah and you know what also we're gonna do though we're also gonna talk about movies that we hate yes we, we are. are also on top of this we are doing our bottom five of the year and we're gonna start with that and then we're going to go into some honorable mentions, and then, uh, well, at least I, you don't have any honorable mentions. I don't. Too. I have some, I have a decent amount of honorable mentions. I'm just going to throw out, I'm not going to talk about them, really, I'm just going to say the titles. Um, and then we'll get into our top 20. Uh, this is our most highly produced episode of the year, too. You will hear uh, clips of the films, the trailers for the films, cut into the different, uh, when we're talking about them, either before, after, or during. Um, it's a highly produced episode. It's going to be probably a really long episode. Um, as you can see by just clicking on the, the, the podcast itself, it's a long one. Um, we don't know that for sure. We just know that it's going to be a long one. Um, and yeah, you know, it's just, it's our favorite podcast to do. We have a lot of fun doing it and, uh, it's late at night. So if we start stumbling by the end, you know, cut us some slack. (laughs) We're going to be talking for a while. So yes, we will. (laughs) But the good thing is we go back and forth. Yes. So we each get our, we each get our breaks while the others, while the others going. Yes, sir. Um, so how do you want to do this bottom five? Do you want to do all five? Yeah, you you start off with your bottom five. All right. I'll do my, all my five. All right. So I saw eighty three this year, and you know critics see you know between like one hundred and fifty to one hundred and seventy five, maybe even two hundred films, and I saw eighty three, which is a decent number for just a film fan, or eighty four, and most of those films that I skipped were the ones that you know were shit, but uh, some reason I watched these five movies. Um, coming in at number five is Dan Gilroy's Velvet Buzzsaw. Um, Starring Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, this film was weird and really atrocious, which was so weird considering that Nightcrawler, the previous um, interactions between Gyllenhaal and Gilroy, uh, the director and star, was so good. Um, but this film just didn't have any of the grit that uh, Nightcrawler had. Uh, the, the film was incomprehensible by the end. Uh, Gyllenhaal was actually, he was kind of good, but also kind of just like, just this bizarre, bizarre character. And, uh, Gyllenhaal's really come out really in the last few years as like one of the weirdest actors in Hollywood. And I love him for it. He's so great in so many films, but here it just did not work. Coming in at number four is Pet Cemetery. Um, I really wanted to like this movie and I couldn't, uh, the horror just didn't work. The ending of the film was bizarre. And, uh, yeah, the tones were were never great, and it wasn't scary. Uh, besides one thing with an Achilles that 
oh, fuck me up. But, you know, that's whatever. Coming in at number three is a film that we did on the podcast, uh, Brightburn. Uh, if you want to hear our full thoughts on that, go ahead and listen to that conversation. Uh, it's it's atrocious. That's all I'll say since we did a podcast on it. Uh, coming in at number two is Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Uh, I did not think I was going to hate this movie, but I did. Uh, the film... So, so Godzilla and large lizard monsters scare the living hell out of me. I don't know. It's like it's like my irrational fear. Like I, I had a dream when I was a child that a massive job of the hut, like the size of Godzilla, like sat on me and killed me. <laughs> and ever since then, I've had an irrational fear of um, of large lizards. So Pacific Rim scares me. Uh, these movies scare me. Um, and that's about all I can say nice about this movie is that the monsters were freaky. Besides that, it was like it was literally paced like a porn where it was people talking in a room explaining why the next, you know, scene is about to happen. And then that scene happens and they're like, oh, wow, that's OK. That's cool. That's why that happened. And then, oh, oh, here's oh, man, here's another reason why these two uh, an- uh, lizard monsters are going to have to fight each other. And oh, well, yep, they fought. Okay, um, so this is why these two monsters are gonna fight now, and, and it's just it, the whole movie was that, and there was no real characters in the film. It was so frustrating to watch. And then coming in at number one, I want to preface this with a few things. I did not see one film that I'm sure will be on your bottom five, so I won't name it. Um, I did not see that. I did not see Cats, and I did not see The Fanatic. Um, all of which I'm sure are deserving to be in this bottom five. But I didn't see them. As I said, I skip the movies that look like they are absolute dog shit. So, coming in number one is the one that I, for some reason, was like, you know what? I'm going to get that at Redbox this summer. And that was The Curse of La Llorona. (laughs) Uh, This movie is the least scary film that I've seen in a long time. There is one image in this film. That unnerved me. And it was it was the image they used in the trailer of the bride La Llorona in this like darkly lit alleyway where this child's looking at her through this fence. And that image unnerved me. That is the only positive I have for this film. The plot is atrocious. There is no real characters. The explanations that they have for why things happen make no sense. I like this is just off the top of my head. I don't want to think about this film, and I didn't for a while, so this is all just off the top of my head, but this film was so infuriating. It's part of the Conjuring universe. I don't like these movies. I've only seen this, The Nun, and The Conjuring, and I don't like any of them, to be honest. Um, I haven't seen Annabelle, the Annabelle films, which I heard are better. I've heard the Annabelle films are better, but yeah, these Conjuring movies just aren't... They're not my thing. Supernatural horror doesn't really scare me, so yeah, and this was this was a bad supernatural horror, so this really did not scare me. So that is my bottom five films of the of the last year i do have a few honorable mentions mainly a film that's on matt's top 20 so we'll get to that and um one that i'm sure will be on your bottom five uh star wars the rise of skywalker ah yes okay so like floyd i'm also going to preface my bottom five by saying i did not see a lot of movies this year so the ones that are in my bottom five I'm sure would not be in my bottom five if I had seen more movies. The fanatic, like I, I yes, <laughs> the fanatic would definitely be down here. But it would be a, it would be an enjoy. Yes, yes. Uh, it, that movie looks so amazingly horrible. Yes. we're gonna we are going to watch it and talk about it on the movie journal at some point. Yes. So like these, some of these movies in the bottom five, like 
I'm sure are not the worst movies of the year, but out of the ones I saw, these I, are the worst. The, these are the worst for me. I'm go- so. <laughs> that being said, <laughs> my number five is Joker. <laughs> Whoa, maybe I should have put that movie just because you did that. Ouch. Um, um. That being said, I do not like this movie at all. <laughs> um, you know my thoughts on it if you listen to our other podcast and. Come back to the feed in a couple weeks. Yes. We'll have an entire CTP on it. Exactly. With the, the whole gang. Um, not a big fan of this movie. I've talked about it to great length. Um, I feel like you weren't that negative on the film when you saw yeah, it. Yeah, but then I saw it a second time mm. after that. And, after that and, and then I ru- Yeah, and then I ruminated on it further. And I've just, I've, I've grown to increasingly hate it. Okay. Um, not, the first, not the last time that film will be mentioned on this podcast. This is true. Not the last time this debate will occur. Yes. Um, after that, we've got... For eternity. Yes. <laughs> it's going to be us, like, Doctor Strange and Dormammu and Doctor Strange. <laughs> Dormammu. Um, com- Come to bargain. Coming in after that, I've got Serenity, um, which, if any of you have seen that movie, you know it is batshit insane. And that's the film that I was talking about that I have not seen that I'm sure I will enjoy. No, no. Literally, one night, um, me and my friend were trying to decide what movie to watch, and we were either going to watch The Fanatic or Serenity. So just two atrocious choices, but I but, like like but, uh, Serenity seems like it's interesting. Serenity is so like baffling, funny, like unintentionally though, right? One, once the like <laughs> twist is revealed, don't reveal the twist. I, I won't. But once I know the twist, I haven't once seen the it. twist is revealed, it's so funny when you look back at the movie. Um, so after that, then <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> after that, I've got Rise of Skywalker. Um. Which, oh, man, I mean... Oh. Yeah, a two-hour and 40-minute discussion on yeah, that's what there. more do I need to say? Bad movie. And then after that, I've got Zombieland 2, which... Oh. <laughs> um, I it don't, wasn't good, but it wasn't that bad. I literally remember nothing from that movie. And I laughed a couple times. I laughed a couple times, but it was very rare. It's not... Watch, the first one's much better. So I've heard. Yes. And you, then... You will, you will enjoy the first one. Yes. And then the very, very last one. Just an absolutely, one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And it's the only movie that I have reviewed with text on Letterboxd. And my review is goddamn awful. <laughs> and this movie is Brightburn. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Good God. This movie was terrible. And what made it worse was that I had, like, I was kind of excited for this movie. And We both were like, oh, yeah, that's going to be cool. <laughs> What a terrible movie. Terrible script. Laughable ending. Terrible acting. Oh my god, the ending. The Billie Eilish thing. Nonsensical plot. So bad. So that is my bottom five. <laughs> all right. Now that um, we've gotten all the bad stuff out of the way. All the bad stuff is out of the way. The We're going to move on to the positives. I'm going to real quick go over my honorable mentions. Um, so films that were just outside of my top 20 uh, in no particular order is High Life by Claire Denis, which was in my top 20 until a few films late in the year. I Lost My Body is currently my pick for animated feature at the Oscars. Very excited to see that get a nomination. A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood was a really great film and a wonderful performance by Tom Hanks. The Two Popes was very good, does not deserve all the Oscar raving that I think it's getting, like Price and... Um, Hopkins are both very good, but would not be my choices in those categories. Toy Story 4 was a, um, a return to form for the Toy Story franchise. I did not like Toy Story 3, um, and I feel like this film is a much better ending for that series than Toy Story 3 was. 
Um, the best studio comedy of the year was Long Shot. I thought this movie was hysterical. Charlize Theron and Seth Rogen were amazing. Uh, Booksmart was a really cute film that I wanted to find room in my top 24, but just barely couldn't make it. And then uh, The Peanut Butter Falcon was a very, very sweet film that I love the message of that everyone should go see if you have not. Um, I do not have any honorable mentions. Um, Just dishonorable ones. Yes, uh, mainly because, like I said, I haven't seen a lot of movies. So the movies that are outside of my top 20, like, aren't really honorable. <laughs> like, I don't really... They would just be mentions? <laughs> yeah, they would just be mentions. Um, all right, so we're, we're there. 12 minutes in, we got our bottom five and our honorable mentions out of the way. It is time for the goods. It's time for the goods. <sighs> all right. Starting off my list of the top 20 movies of 2019 is a film that me and Floyd saw very recently. At number 20, Us. Um, saw this film literally a week ago or a couple days ago. I like this movie. Um, it took me a while to see it since it came out in February. Um, but, I mean, there was all the uh, all the uh, headlines and everybody was going crazy on Twitter about Lupita Nyong'o you know, getting snubbed for her Oscar. And even before I seen the movie, I was like, yeah, you know, I, everybody said she was very good. I'm sure they're right. And then I saw the movie, and I was like, oh, oh, oh yeah, like it, she was completely snubbed. <laughs> um, fantastic in this film. She was the best part about it, by far. Um, kept me compelled the entire time. I love the cinematography in this movie. At the beginning of this movie, the first, oh, the, the first, like, 45 minutes had me completely just locked in. Uh, some of my problems with the movie was that I felt that I kind of started to lose interest towards the end, and I felt that it got a little bit muddled, a little bit too cluttered with what they were trying to say and what story elements they were trying to bring in. But still, I thought that Lupita's performance was just fantastic, as well as everyone else in that cast. I mean, even the kids and uh, the husband, Winston Duke. Mm -hmm. Oh, fantastic. He's yes. a great actor, hilarious. Elizabeth Moss. Yes. Um, this movie solved a lot of the problems I had with Get Out. You know, if you've listened to the 2017 Top 20, you know I wasn't a big fan of Get Out. My number one of that year. Um, because I, I, I just, I, I never got into the whole, the, the horror comedy aspect of Get Out. I, I just didn't think those two elements blended well together. But I thought that they did it very well in this movie. I mean, this movie was definitely a lot darker and not as comedic. But sure. I thought that those elements were blended in a lot better. Um, and this movie was also pretty scary at times. I, I at was times. I was genuinely scared at multiple moments. Um. So yeah, that's my number 20. Alrighty, my number 20, I'm going to introduce with a clip from the trailer. Um, all of you are going to know this as soon as you hear it. God, it seems like a thousand years ago. I fought my way out of that cave. Became Iron Man. Realized I loved you. I know I said no more surprises, but I was really hoping to pull off one last one. I keep telling everybody they should move on. Some do, but not us. Even if there's a small chance, we owe this to everyone who's not in this room to try. We will. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Anna, 
as you heard there, Avengers Endgame is my number 20 film of the year. Uh, it's a little movie. You might have heard of it. Um, you know, only made $2.8 billion or something like that. Um, yeah, so this is the highest grossing film of all time. I know that all of you have seen this film. Um, it's the culmination of the MCU 22 film uh, cycle or whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, I, I love the opening of this film. I think the opening of this film is the reason that it got on this list in the first place. Um, the opening of the film lets the audience grieve with the characters um, about the the loss that was at the end of Infinity War, unlike the ending of that film, which is a very abrupt ending after the snap occurs. Uh, the, sur- the scene of survivors where Cap is talking to them in that um, in that group therapy session felt so real and honest, and, and unlike any other scene in the MCU. That scene itself got, it, got this uh, film on my top 20. Um, it really allows the audience to sit in the first hour of the film with the character's failures, too, in terms, especially in terms of Thor, um, who is played for comedic laughs, but you can feel the pain behind his character, that he feels like he is failing constantly over and over again, and how that takes a toll on someone. And even then, on the other side, it allows the audience to be with Tony, um, who has had very positive things happen in his life, um, despite the snap. Um, once the mission itself gets going halfway through the film, it is allows for some very moving moments with characters to reconcile with some of their failures of their past, along with kind of having a good goodbye for a lot of characters that are no longer there at that time, and also for characters that are leaving the franchise, because um, they die. I'm not going to get into too much spoilers, but it does fall apart a little bit in the last act for me. Uh, the last act is a lot of fun, but it kind of just becomes a CGI mess for me. Um, just like all these CGI characters running around in the field. But in the end, it ends with a, a moment that will live forever in pop culture. That Simply another snap, I'll say. That, that, that moment works, and the ending of the film works. Um, so although the last half an hour leading up to the ending is just kind of a CGI cl- clusterfuck a little bit, um, the beginning of this film and the very end of this film is so strong that it, um, it's, the, it's the second best MCU movie, in my opinion, behind, behind Winter Soldier. And this film really just shows me, I I think I understand now why I didn't like Infinity War, because Infinity War was just a a mission towards the snap. It was kind of just a, you know, bounce back and forth adventure between them with no real clear goal, while this film felt to finally feel the emotional repercussions of everything that's happened in the MCU, and then be able to satisfyingly, uh, satisfyingly conclude that story. Nice. Um, I we're kind of opposites with Infinity War and Endgame. I love Infinity War. I think it was my number two of, of it was last year. I when you said it last year, I was like, "What the?" Yeah, no, I absolutely adore that movie because I didn't see your list before beforehand. Uh-huh. Yeah. When you were like Avengers Infinity War, I was like, Avengers Infinity War. <laughs> it was yeah, it was like small indie heartfelt drama Infinity War. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, no, same as. Uh, this, uh, this year as well, I have not seen Floyd's list. I don't think you've seen mine, at least not. Recently. I know some of the films on your list. I don't know where they are. Yes, yes. Um, Endgame, I just, I don't know. I wasn't a big fan of. Everything felt very manufactured to me, and uh, like the Thor thing. Like, understand what you're saying, but I just thought it was so over the top, and mm-hmm. I just, I think See, it's the humor of it worked for me. And I think it's also I'm just growing so disillusioned and tired of all the Marvel movies that just the oh. weariness was starting. Oh, to get for to sure. Me. No, yeah. This is. I said this in my letterbox review. Like, this is one of the best films they've made, but I'm kind of done. No, you know, yeah, like, but... like this is, this is it. I'll see all the stuff they're doing in the future. I'm sure some of the Disney plus shows are good. I'm sure that, 
And, you know, Black Widow looks decent, has my girl Florence Pugh in it. Um, but I, I'll see it, but I feel like emotionally, it's I'm done. No, yeah, that's fair. Um, all right, so for me, my number 19 pick is a film that um, originally was not in my top 20, um, but after giving it some more thought and reading up on the film and going back and watching some clips, I was actually forgot that it was actually a pretty good movie. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, the film High Life, mm. um, which I think was... I'm new- glad that you put that on there that's so that we can talk about this. Yeah, um, really, really cool movie. Um, a very different take on sci-fi on space that uh, um, I have not seen before. Uh, very contemplative. Very, very depressing. Very depressing. Very sensual. I was going to say oddly sexual. Oh, man, it is. I mean, if you've seen the movie, you know, the infamous box scene, the sex box. <laughs> so weird. With one specific shot, one camera angle, mm. <laughs> which just caught me by surprise. Um, I forgot about that shot until you just mentioned it. Yeah, yep, I, yep. I had that leave my brain until you just mentioned it. But uh, Robert Pattinson, once again, proves himself to be one of the you know greatest actors working today. He's very good in this movie. Um, he, he does a great job at being like, I don't know, he's got like an edge to him the entire film. While also being quiet. Yes, and like sensitive and, and you, you, you empathize with him. Um, the relationship that he builds with the one girl feels so natural yes so real yes and i said that it's in no particular order but this high life is my number 21 so i'm just gonna chime in a little bit sorry Mm -hmm. no yeah um i I thought the cinematography in this film was beautiful all the scenes the scenes in the garden were Mm. just gorgeous um also shout out to andre 3000 who's in this movie oh really i didn't know that was andre 3000 yeah the guy like yeah i know you were talking about yeah great in this movie yeah very disturbing movie as well there were some scenes Mm. where i was just horrified but there's um, some violent, very, very violent heavy. things that happen in this film. Yeah, but I just thought a very interesting take. Um, you know, uh, criminals, the, the scum of society were sending them up to space. I, I thought that was just very... And I, I loved... She really liked how they used the flashbacks in the movie. Mm-hmm. It just... Uh, oh, man. I, I thought this was a, a very cool movie that definitely grew on me after I watched it. And, and Julia Pinoche is fantastic in the film. She's as well. fantastic. I love the relationship between Rob Pattinson and his kid. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's really the whole, uh, the heart of the film and the crux of it. And if that relationship didn't work with that baby, if you, if you didn't buy it with him and that baby, it wouldn't work, but it did. Yeah. I, with him, it, it, towards the end of the film, uh, when we jumped forward in time, I yeah. started to lose it a bit, but I, I definitely still liked it with, in the beginning with the baby. It was very good. Yeah. Yep. So coming in at number 19 for me is actually the last film that I watched before we did this. Um, I should note, we have not seen Portrait of a Lady on Fire that still doesn't come out for another two weeks. So that's not going to be on this list just because we haven't seen it. But the other film that I said I wanted to watch before we did our top 20 was The Last Black Man in San Francisco, and that did make my list at number 19. What was great about getting sick last weekend was that I got to re-watch or watch a lot of movies that uh, I wanted to see before I we did this top 20, and this was one of the, one of them. So this is... I'm talking about this because of the hardship that I had last weekend of being of having a cold. This poor man. I know. Um, so yeah, this film is one of the most deeply human stories told this year. Uh, Jimmy Fails plays himself as a man desperately trying to reclaim the house that his grandfather built in the 1940s. Uh, he sees it as his birthright to take care of this house um, despite other people owning it. Uh, so it, it, it's a lot about squatting, um, but it's also... 
a, a deeply human story just beyond the squatting aspect. It's co-written and starring fails. Um, and the film feels like an honest introspection on a man that feels lost. This only He feels lost except for the few moments that he is with this one objective, which is repairing and keeping up with this house. Um, it's a very relatable story if you've ever, it, not, not necessarily squatting or like wanting to take care of a house, but just like having a passion and like kind of your whole life is revolving around that passion. And when you're not doing it, you kind of feel like part of you is missing. So it's very relatable in that way. The film is very beautifully shot um, and the performances are fantastic, specifically fails in his co-lead Jonathan Majors, who has one scene where um, the, the two characters live with Danny Glover, who is um, Jonathan Majors' grandfather. Um, and at the bottom of their stairs where, that come from their house, um, a group of guys stand there and one of them um, is just constantly, he, he's getting a problem with you, you get the sense that maybe they're in a gang, maybe not, but it is he is starting to have trouble with another gang. And Jonathan Major's character, who is going to be one of the stars in Spike Lee's new movie next year, oh, interesting. Um, uh, goes up to them. He's a director and a writer for uh, the stage, and he goes up to them and he's <clears throat> they're having an argument, and he basically like stops them and talks to them like they're actors going through a scene, and it's such a gorgeous way for like for like the film to say like these people are performing you know these people who are acting all tough and this macho attitude it's it's all a performance they're like and especially because later in the film something happens that strips these people of their bravado and there's some deeply really human emotion behind it where it shows that like no one's actually like that and i loved that um that message uh the ending is beautiful and heartbreaking I won't spoil it, um, but the film is streaming now on Amazon Prime, so definitely go check out The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Yeah, um, I enjoyed the film. Um, oh, you watched it? Yeah, I did. Um, I, I, It was very strong in the beginning. I started to lose it towards the end. I thought it was too long, and um, the whole thing, the play and everything, I, I thought that it just dragged on, mm -hmm. and I started to lose it. But uh, one of my favorite scenes from that movie is uh, on the one on the bus. You yes. know, when he hears the two women complaining about San Francisco and seeing that they hate it, and he says, but do you love it? Mm -hmm. And he said, you can't hate it unless you love it. And, and I, I very much feel that way about our hometown. But yes, <laughs> I related yes. to that very I, I much. I think anyone who sees that movie can, like, relate to that. Just, you know, the feeling of being attached to a home and all, you know, how you love it and hate it. It's just, yeah, the, the score, the cinematography of that movie, beautiful. Absolutely. Um all right, moving along to my number 18 of the year. Uh, we've got a movie that I think will be on your list as well. Uh, Ready or Not, which is a movie me and Floyd saw together in theaters. Um, one of the first movies I saw uh, when I got to college nice. with you, I think. Um, just an absolute glorious time. Um, just one hell of a fun time. If you're looking to just have a good time with the movie, throw on Ready or Not. It, uh, the film is about... Uh, Oh, what's her name? Oh, Samara Weaving. Samara yes, Weaving, yeah. uh, recently married, trying to you know get acclimated with her husband's family. Not recently married, married that day. Married that day, and she stumbles across some kind of weird traditions the family has, and the film becomes this crazy version of hide and seek, and Samara Weaving is fighting to save her life, and it is just so much fun. Um, Samara Weaving is amazing in this movie. It, it, like I felt every single every single injury every single stab and scrape like every oh, single nail through the hand oh my gosh like it was it's just it's just such a fun movie it, um 
uh, the actors who play the parents of the family mm. are just uh, fantastic as these very sophisticated upper class snobs. Um, the ending just had me just smiling from ear to ear. So well done. And one of my favorite closing shots of the year. Mm. Um, overall, just a a very dandy and fun time. Uh, definitely a movie that a lot of people should check out. For sure. Coming in at number 18 is a film for me that I know will be higher up on your list, but it is Greta Gerwig's Little Women. Uh, Greta Gerwig does an excellent job portraying these five women and the people around them. Uh, I, I did find the story occasionally confusing with the time jumping, uh, but that is only because I this was my first interaction with this story, and I feel like this story was kind of built for people who knew the story a little bit. So that's my only real quabble with the film. All the performances are performances here are super strong uh specifically my favorite performances are florence Pugh and timothy chalamet uh florence Pugh, i would give best supporting actress to uh myself i think she has the best supporting role uh actress performance of the year uh she is incredible as the younger and older versions of amy and so she is so completely she's playing two different characters like we, like you talked about with us to be able to play two different characters it, it takes a lot and amy as a 12 year old committee compared to amy as a what a 20 year old it's, she's two completely different people, and she does such an amazing job at doing that. Yeah, those are two of the best, best brightest young stars that we have. Chalamet's going to have a hell of a year this year mm -hmm. with Dune, French Dispatch, and the new um, Bob Dylan film that he's going to be doing. Oh, so my he goodness, is, yeah. You know, they're going to be stars for a long time. Um, I really like the meta ending and the way it plays with the audience and what's it, what it wants to see for Joe. Um, I don't... So I didn't love Lady Bird. I know you did. So I, I like Greta Gerwig as a director. Um, I kind of want to see her flourish a little more. I, I think she's on, on the way to really getting there. I think the thing that holds me back is I, I like Saoirse Ronan, but I don't love her in these movies. And I feel like having her be the main character was kind of my disconnect. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. There's not really something I can put a finger on with, with her performances. But uh, they, some, something about them I just don't quite connect to. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I'm going to save most of my thoughts for this movie because, sure. oh, you will hear about it later. Uh, but yes, if there is one big takeaway to come uh, to come out of this year, it is Florence Pugh. Florence Pugh. <laughs> Just a fantastic Who will year. be coming up again. Absolutely. All right, so uh, now my number 17 of the year. Um, a film which I don't think Floyd has seen, uh, Gaspar Noe's Climax. Oh, God, no, I stayed away from this. Yeah, I, actually, now that I think about it, you would be deeply disturbed by yeah. this film. I've heard it's tra traumatizing. Uh, oh, it is um, definitely, I would say, the most disturbing scene of the year is mm. in this movie um, involving a pregnant woman. Oh, God, yeah. No, it I'm was, it. it was. oh, man, it was rough to watch. Um, a, ver a film that I was very, very excited for uh, going in, the trailers had me sold. Um, it, it basically is just uh, revolving around this dance troupe in France, and um, someone spikes the sangria at one of their parties with LSD and... The movie is about what follows. Um, I have not seen any of other any of Gaspar Noe's other movies, but I've heard they are all mind fucks like this one. Mm. Um, most of this film is taken up by people dancing very rhythmically, very sensually. This which is just bumping loud music, lots of long shots, no cuts, camera spiraling around as these people are gyrating and spinning and flipping. Um, I love the movie, the progression of the movie, the progression of the night goes on as the LSD begins to kick in, like just the craziness that begins to ensue. I think he does such a good job through the choreography of showing that as it just becomes wilder. Um, I love the setup of the film. The film begins with kind of a series of interviews 
and then it's a long dance sequence and then it goes back to like these interviews but it's just like you know um a duos of characters just kind of like talking and like the playing of the gossip between the characters um there's a lot of like character relationships that you can read into and make speculations about all these different elements of the story but it just it just gets wild and um in these terribly garish colors and neon lights and it's it's a very disturbing movie um i kind of started to lose it at the end a bit i thought it was just a, a bit much but still one very enjoyable film awesome yeah i haven't seen the film probably won't um doesn't sound like my cup of tea <laughs> but i'm glad that you glad that you liked it so coming in at number 17 for me is a film that i can't believe is this low on my list after i saw it and that is lulu wang's the farewell uh aquafina and xiao Zhu zhen were the biggest acting snubs of the Oscars, besides uh, Lupita Nyong'o. Um, their performances and the relationship between the two, uh, between Billy and Nai Nai, they're the heart of the film, and I'll, I'll, I will come back to this thing a lot, this sentiment a lot. Like, these two performances in this central relationship, if any part of it didn't work, this film would fall apart. Um, but they both are incredible, and Aquafina, like, I, I wasn't a huge fan of her before this film. I didn't really find her humor that funny in Crazy Rich Asians, um, but she it, she is full. She is an actress, like like you know what I'm saying. Like she is a dramatic actress with chops. She is incredible in this film. I want to see her do more serious drama work over comedies now after seeing this. Um, the film again felt ultra relatable, while at the same time being very educational about the Chinese culture, a culture that I admittedly don't know much about, and I felt like this film educated me on that. So that was. That's a good thing on its own. Um, and on top of that, still being able to have it feel like a, a very personal, relatable story um, is something very difficult to achieve. Um, this this film could have divulged into melodrama, but it doesn't. It stays above that, stays above water, um, and always felt real and authentic the entire time. Lulu Wang is a terrific director. She does a great job with this film. I can't wait to see what she does in the future. Yeah, and the ending, the ending is fantastic there is a almost like there's just words that come up at the end that kind of makes the whole movie work even more than it did before and if you've seen the film you know what that is um it is a very obvious thing if you've seen the film but uh yeah no i love this film um i kind of can't believe it's only my number 17 of the year but it's it's fantastic go check it out yep uh that film's gonna be coming up soon for me so i'll save my thoughts um so number 16 of the year for me it's a film that both of us love, Dr. Sleep, mm. and a film that completely surprised me. I was blown away by this movie. I had low expectations going into it. Uh, the trailer, I thought, just didn't, I did not find it compelling. I was going to say, when we saw It Chapter 2, I was like, eh, eh, and you were like, no. Yeah, I mean, it just looked like an unnecessary sequel. I, I saw no need for it, um, but I was really surprised at how, at how well director Mike Flanagan was able to um, emulate the first movie style while also creating something entirely different that did not feel like a complete divergence mm -hmm. from uh, The Shining. I thought Ewan McGregor was fantastic in this movie. It was a very human story. I loved how much time they spent on the quiet moments and how much time they spent on building up this character so you felt so attached to him. And uh, easily my favorite aspect of this movie is Rebecca Ferguson as the villain. I thought oh, really? she was just fantastic terrifying 
Um, I thought her and her whole troop of villains was so well executed. There's one terrifying scene in particular with oh. involving Jake and Trimble, just disturbing. Like, like almost to the point, like I left the theater after that scene. If you remember, like you did, I, yes. I needed to take a break. It was that intense. Yeah. Um, I love the score. I love the the cinematography. How they echo the the first movie, The Shining. Um, and towards the very end of this of the movie, I felt they got a little bit too fan servicey for me. There was like one moment where I was like, okay, they. they a bit too much, but still a, a great movie. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, for sure. We'll be talking about that again soon. Uh, coming in at number 16 is our first overlap, and that is uh, Ready or Not. Uh, this film, I swear, is so, so, so much fun. Like, I went into the movie like expecting it to be one thing, and it was exactly that one thing that I expected it to be, and it was so amazing samara weaving margot robbie clone i'm still convinced (laughs) that they just took some dna from margot robbie and put it in a lab and they made samara weaving um it's exactly what i wanted the film to be the plot is so absurd but it's perfect once it actually gets into a uh, effect it's it's a crazy romp of a horror film uh the gags are both hilarious and disgusting there's some great body humor joke with in it with some really funny gore um, all the actors came to play. I love Adam Brody in this film. He's so funny. The film kept me guessing with the entire time with what the allegiances of the characters were gonna like. What characters were gonna do? Were they gonna keep with the family? Were they gonna split off? And then ended up making some interesting character decisions that I didn't expect to see coming. Um, it's an amazing commentary on the class differences in society and perfectly plays off the perils of inherited wealth. I feel like that was the main. Uh, the main crux of the film was like the what what happens when you hit fifth generation inherited wealth and like did you sell your soul to the devil? Maybe, <laughs> um, and and the evil that comes from inherited wealth and just like the complacency of like should we still be doing this? Are we kind of bad people for doing this? I don't know. What happens if we stop? I don't know. Maybe we'll get killed by the devil. I don't know. Okay, fine. Kill the poor. Um, but yeah, in the, in the ending, like you said, it's just... I, 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 by the way, I stole that kill the poor joke from William Bibiani, just full credit for him. Um, yeah, the the ending, the last five minutes of this film. Mwah! Perfect. I love this movie. So well done. Um, alrighty. Uh, coming in at number 15 for me is um, a film I, I love thoroughly. The only animated film on my list. I wanted to see I Lost My Body, but I did not get it's around so to good. doing Watch so. Watch it before the Oscars. I know, I need to. Um, Toy Story 4. Ah, yes. That is. Um, this is a cool story about this movie. I got to see this movie in LA when Floyd was there at yes. that time. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, we kind of crossed paths in a cool way this summer, but I, I got to see it at... Um, Oh, now I'm blanking on the, the theater. The El Capitan? Uh, no, the dome-looking... Cinerama dome. The, I, yeah, the Cinerama dome. Beautiful. I saw Men in Black International in that theater. Ooh, but a, a slightly not-as-good movie, but... No, it's a, that movie was still fine. I got to see it at the Cinerama dome in L.A., which was my first time in L.A., a very historic theater. Um, really cool experience. And then um, I got to see it again um, at a drive through movie theater with my girlfriend, which was really cool. cool. Like I've always wanted to go yeah, to a drive-in theater. Like I've two, never been. Two very cool experiences to watch Toy Story 4. Sure. And I absolutely love this movie. Um, I, I really enjoyed Toy Story 3. Um, I'm very much in the mor- minority for not liking that movie. Yeah, you are. Um, and like most people, when the news of this movie broke, I saw no reason for it, but I was really surprised at how well they did it. Um, I thought this movie was so 
deeply moving. I cried at the end. Um, the animation blew my mind. Just scary how realistic some of those scenes in the rain and, and, and the mm. grass looked. I thought this was such an adult movie. The, the themes it deals with, with fatherhood and, and mo I mean, moving on is, is a theme in Toy Story 3 and most of the Toy Story movies. But I thought they just, uh, letting go, moving on. It just This movie actually executes it then. Yes, it brought out uh, the child in me. And uh, it, I, I, I found it to be great. I'd fall at the end of that movie. Oh, so many tears. So so Matt and I decided sidebar. Uh, we were like, yeah, after we saw a certain movie that's going to come up later on our list, I'm sure. And we were like, Matt, uh, Matt was like, yeah, I don't cry too much during movies, but I cried a lot during that one. I'm like, dude, honestly, I'm not going to lie. I've been crying a lot at a lot of different movies this year. Um, trying to think, like, have I? Yeah, I cried during The Farewell. I cried during Little Women. I didn't cry during Endgame. And I didn't cry during the film, I think, coming up next. Coming up number 15 for me is a film that Matt already discussed. is Dr. Sleep. Well, nowhere near as good as The Shining. Uh, this film lets the audience um, into the character of Dan Torrance more than The Shining ever did with Jack Torrance. Uh, this film is much more about uh, Dan Torrance's character than The Shining was about Jack. It was more of the situation, the claustrophobia, the horror of being at the Overlook more than being about Jack itself, but this film is fully about Dan. The film begins with begins with the horrible atrocities that Dan commits, and then haunts him for the rest of the film with those, those horrible things. And at the beginning of this film, Dan is Jack. You know, he, he is a drunken, washed-up piece of shit that doesn't deserve a second chance. And the film then asks, asks, asks us to consider, once that person gets the second chance and they do good with it, are they redeemed? Like, what do, can, can someone be redeemed for truly horrible acts? Or do we just simply have to accept that they did those things, say that they are a different person now than they were before, and move on? Hugh McGregor knocks this film out of the park and continues to prove that he is one of the most underrated actors working today. Like you said, Rebecca Ferguson as Rose the Hat is fantastic, completely believable villain, and Kaylee Curran acts beyond her years as the young Avra, who is the uh, character that Dan Torrance is mentoring throughout the film. Um, I love the first two-thirds of this film. Very brutal, very disturbing, uh, like we said with that scene with Jacob Tremblay where I had to leave the theater for a few minutes just because it was it was that intense. And I kind of couldn't believe they put that on film, that scene on film. It was just because of how, ugh, I hated it. But I, it, was, it was very well done, but I hated it. But the last third of the film is really where it all came together and sealed the deal for me once they go to the Overlook. There is a scene at the bar near the end of this film that I'm about to play a clip for you for. If you don't want, if you haven't seen this film and you you don't want spoilers, this it's not really a spoiler heavy scene. It's just kind of a scene between between two characters, but it perfectly encapsulates the toll and pain that trauma cause that is caused by trauma, um, and how that can affect a person and how confronting that pain head on can sometimes be the best way to handle that trauma. Uh, so I'm gonna play that clip for you right now. So we lived in Florida. I'm sorry? Mom and I. I'm afraid I don't know who you mean. We never wanted to see snow again. So we lived in Florida. Tiny place, but it was comfortable and we were happy. I mean, we were grieving. We were traumatized. But there was happiness too. 
she... She would look away. She'd look at me, but she'd always look away after a second or two. It took me a while to notice it, but after the overlook, she wouldn't look me in the eyes, not for long. Couldn't figure it out. But... It, it was you. She saw your eyes in me, and she'd have to look away. It tortured her to have to do that, so I fixed it. I fixed it for her, and it was the last time I ever used it, so that she wouldn't see you anymore when she looked at me. I was 20 when she died, and back then, I saw when someone was gonna die, I saw flies, black flies, death flies, I called them, circling people's faces. And in those last weeks, she was covered, her whole face. I could barely see her eyes. And I, tr I tried to comfort her, but I could hardly look at her. And she saw that. She just lay there dying with her son who couldn't look at her. Maybe something warm to push away such unpleasantries. Don't you want to hear about it? She was your wife. I think you've mistaken me for someone else. I'm just a bartender. Oh, yeah. Just Lloyd the bartender, pouring joy at the Overlook Hotel. I'll pour whatever you like, Mr. Torrance. Oh, Dad. This drink will cost an awful lot. Your money's no good here. Orders from the house. It'll cost more than money. It'll cost me eight years. Eight behind me, and who knows how many in front of me. Your credit is fine, Mr. Torrance. So yeah, as you heard there in that clip, Ewan McGregor um, as Dan Torrance uh, in Doctor Sleep with a very crucial scene in the film. Uh, the film expertly blends Kubrick's film with the King novel, both in terms of The Shining, both versions of The Shining and King's Doctor Sleep book. Um, there's much history about Kubrick and King, how they wanted different things for not only the, the for the film, but really the story in general, the Jack character, what happens to the Overlook at the end of The Shining. The book is different than The, the Shining, the movie, um, hence why the Overlook isn't even in Doctor Sleep, because spoilers, at the end of the book, The Shining explodes. Um, this film, as a fan of both, this film is kind of the perfect blend of the two. And the ending itself is such a beautiful blending of the two, of the two stories. It, it takes from both and makes a truly incredible ending of a film. And I love this film to pieces. Yeah. Um, very good movie. Coming in at number 14 for me is one we just talked about is The Farewell. Mm. Um, I, too, love this movie. Aquafina. I, I, I liked her a lot in Crazy Rich Asians, but a complete turn in this movie. It is such a human performance. This movie feels so human. And for a culture that is, you know, like you said, like I am not very knowledgeable and I am not steeped in it at all. I immediately felt connected to these characters and I could just feel the tenderness and love and care like seeping out of every single shot of this movie. And it is mostly due to Aqua, Aquafina's performance. Um, the, the, the emotional scenes where she's crying and when she's talking to her parents, I just thought they were stunning. Um, uh, the grandma as well was Josh fantastic. Sharon, yes, yeah. Josh is in. 
Um, I, I love learning more about the culture through this. There were a lot of uh, aspects of it I did not know. Um, you've talked a lot about it, so yeah, it, it, it's it's a fantastic. Didn't really mention the humor, but it was a very funny movie. Oh, as well. hilarious! Um, her cousin was mm-hmm. it like uh, the the wedding for that? Yeah, oh, that was so funny. Um, when I, he's like when they were playing drink, drinking games, exactly. Like, Fucking hell, that was so funny. And I I agree. The ending is beautiful. One of my favorite endings of the year. For so sure. well done. All right, coming in at number 14 for me um, is a film that I don't know if it's in your top 20 or not, uh, but it's it's just a, a romp of a film, and that is Knives Out, directed and written by Ryan Johnson. Um, th- this movie is just fun from start to finish. I can't really say anything else besides that. Uh, Daniel Craig and Anna DeArmas expertly lead this incredible ensemble cast. Uh, it's got to be one of the best ensembles of the last few years. Uh, Ryan Johnson's writing and directing here is razor sharp. Once again, he uses a genre that we know and love, and he takes it, puts it on its head, and tells a new, fun, unexpected story. It plays so well with the genre, kind of becomes predictable, and then again becomes unpredictable uh, at the end. Uh, The humor works so, so well. This film is hysterical, start to finish. Uh, The mystery is a ton of fun, and the Benoit Blanc character is a perfect character to lead into an eventual... um, franchise if they so choose um and you know i'm just gonna say my coffee my house my rules if you guys know what i'm referencing there you will know that that is one of the best shots and best moments of the year (laughs) yes uh that will be coming up soon on mine as well all right uh coming in at number 13 for me um 1917 Mm. um film that me and Floyd both saw together and had a very emotional reaction to, I think, or no, I, I cried more in another movie this year that we'll get to, but I cried lots in this movie. Um, just a, a, a very, very good movie. Uh, I don't like it as much as Floyd does, but I still respect the hell out of this movie. Um, you know, to start off, the cinematography by Deacons. Deacons outdoes himself again. Um, He's going to win the Oscar for cinematography. Deservingly so. Yes, absolutely. And he will, might win it next year with Dune. Um, God, wouldn't that be awesome? Oh, that'd be I'm so, so excited great. for Dune. Oh, I'm so excited. Um, but cinematography, when shit is going down, I mean, I was on the edge of my seat, Dunkirk style. I mean, every noise was scaring me. Every, every tension-filled sweep around a corner, waiting to see if an enemy was there. Um, I thought the two main actors carried the film so well. George McKay, so great in this movie. Such a just sympathetic look. Like, you just, I just latch onto him immediately. Like, you just care for him from the moment. He's just got this, like, face that's just so tender. He just looks, I don't know. He just, he it purposely fits, like, the, the idea of, like, a soldier being sent out to war, like a young guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I For me, uh, some of my problems with the movies was that uh, when... You know, it's a very minimalistic storyline. You know, it's uh, we got to get from point A to point B to deliver a message. And uh, while most of the film is high intensity warfare, uh, when the film does slow down, um, that's when I really felt the lack of a storyline, and it, it really I, I kind of got bored with it. But I mean, when it's when when it's going down, I mean, I was on the edge of my seat, and there was. One scene in particular, which I know Flip will talk about as well, well, where I I cried from the sheer just magnificence of the cinematography mm-hmm. and the the beautiful score by Thomas Newman, um, it just it brought me to tears. It was yeah. it was fantastic. Great film, 
be talking about it again. Uh, I'm going to let a clip from this next movie introduce it. So here, enjoy this. Arthur, I have some bad news for you. <laughs> This is the last time we'll be meeting. You don't listen, do you? You just ask the same questions every week. How's your job? Are you having any negative thoughts? All I have are negative thoughts. For my whole life, I didn't know if I even really existed. But I do. starting to notice. Think this is funny? <laughs> is this a joke to you? Uh, Murray, one small thing. Yeah. When you bring me out, can you introduce me as Joker? Alrighty, as you guys heard there, coming in at number 13 for me is Todd Phillips's Joker. Um, all hail Joaquin Phoenix. Um, one of the best performances of the year. Uh, yes, I don't like it as much as Heath Ledger's performance, but that's such a high bar, and I don't really even want to compare the two, just because they're, they're both fantastic. The direction and the writing of this film is fantastic by Todd Phillips. Um, he proves that he can really make a great film after um, the career and comedies that he's had. Uh, the Hangover is a very funny film, but it's not really... You, you wouldn't say director of The Hangover and the director of The Joker as the same filmmaker and expect that. The film is beautiful. The cinematography is so gorgeous by Lawrence Schur, and the streets are incredibly dull and depressing, and that fits so well with the film itself. Um, the world feels like it's falling apart, which it does by the end, um, especially uh, Arthur's world. Um, the staircase sequence itself is such an incredible piece of filmmaking, one of the best scenes of the year. Um, I love the transformation that Joaquin Phoenix goes on. Um, I love the supporting characters around him. I love the way it plays with the Batman mythology. Um, the ending of the film is so horrifying and uh, such a great scene itself on the actual Murray show once you get there and the lead up everything to get there is so great as well um yeah the ending is haunting the very last shot is haunting everyone has seen this movie go see it again and guess what we're gonna be talking about it a lot more on a ctp coming up and we do have an hour conversation on the movie journal so i'm gonna leave it at that if you want to hear my full thoughts go check those out there yes i agree <laughs> Alrighty, um for my number 12 pick i've got a film that you will probably talk about uh later as well uh the irishman Hmm. Um, a film we that we do have a lot of crossover this year. A lot of crossover this year, um, just in different order. Yes, um, a film that I was kind of hesitant about going in. I was kind of a, a skeptic with all the trailers and I, I the news of all the de aging. I, I I just did not buy it. Um, but then the reviews started to come in, and it was amazing. Everybody was saying it was amazing, and um, it, it was a fantastic film. Um, I don't know the first Netflix film on our list, right? Uh yeah, the first one yeah. yeah, not the last but the first one. Yes, the first, not the uh, last. The fact that Scorsese made a three and a half hour movie that never that I was never bored in, I was always engaged. Um, I think it's just a remarkable uh triumph. 
I mean, uh, the acting in this movie, just the wealth of talent, De Niro, Pacino, Pesci, Keitel, Ray Romano is so funny, and, um... Come on. Did you do it? Come on. <laughs> He's fantastic in everything, and, oh, um, I'm forgetting the one guy's name, but this, there was an uh, Italian comedian was in this movie who I'd seen in other stuff who just made me laugh so hard. Um, oh, the one that interacts with Hoffa a lot. Sebastian Mendesculo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's fantastic he's so in this movie. Um, I, my problems with the movie is that I, 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 I thought that like the first hour and a half or uh, hour forty five felt a little bit just like Goodfellas, um, and I didn't. But once the last hour starts. Mm. If the last hour was an isolated movie, that would like be my number one or number two movie of the year. Yeah. I thought that the last hour, when it starts, when it starts to turn extremely contemplative and very, you know, consequences are starting to come like up. The and dinner scene, people or are the, starting. The award scene is really where it yes, starts. When people are starting to, when you know, consequences are coming back for actions. I thought it was just brilliant, and that is building the entire movie. But I just. The emotional effect of that at the end, there is, I mean, oh, well, uh, a scene in particular at the end of this movie that just crushed me. I, the fact that De Niro did not get nominated uh, for Best Actor, I think, is just a complete, a complete snub. Um, throw Phoenix out of there. Put oh De Niro God. in. I, I, I think he deserves it much more. But um, either way, I thought this was a fantastic movie. Um, just... I mean, so much has been said about it already, but yeah. Yeah, and more will be said. Yes. Uh, coming in number 12 was a film that I know you have not seen. Uh, that is Honey Boy, directed by Alma Harrell. Um, welcome back, my close personal friend, Shia LaBeouf. Um, uh, this is a beautifully cathartic film for LaBeouf. He wrote and stars in it as his own father, if you did not know. The story is a honest retelling of what it was like for Shia LaBeouf to be a 12-year-old working actor on Even Stevens. Um, working with his father who was very emotionally abusive and the film never felt it never felt self-indulgent that's a better word for it um it, it felt cathartic it felt like a person coming from a place of true reflection um in an honest reflection at that not judging its characters too harshly kind of letting the audience be the judge of those characters I love the way this film was made. If you have watched any interviews with Shia LaBeouf about this film, you know that this set, the way they talked about how open and free it was uh, to kind of just flow in and out of scenes, sounds incredible to have been there. Um, and um, yeah, Shia should have gotten a, a Best Supporting Actor nomination. He should have gotten a Best screenplay, Original Screenplay nomination. Uh, Shia is my pick for Best Supporting Actor. Uh, he is he is truly incredible in this film and has such an amazing comeback this year between this film and Peanut Butter Falcon, which he is also amazing in. Uh, Noah Jupe is going to be a star one day. He is incredible as the uh, proxy for Shia LaBeouf um, and perfectly plays off of LaBeouf himself as his father. All of the cast is fantastic. Specifically, Lucas Hedges does a great job of playing an older version of Shia who is looking back um, once he is um, arrested um, if you know the story of Shia, he did get arrested and had to go into therapy. And the therapy scenes between Hedges and his therapist are incredible. Um, and then another film that gets very, me very meta at the end um, has this incredible culmination at the end where Hedges and LaBeouf have a scene together. The older version of LaBeouf comes back and has a conversation with his father. And 
basically where he tells him he's like i'm gonna make a movie about you dad and and kind of see this whole film in a meta way come full circle at the end uh, it is truly an amazing emotionally cathartic experience i know i keep using that word but that's really really what i felt like by the end of it i felt like i went through something um and this is another film at 12 like i cannot believe this film's at number 12 this year like this film is this this year has been such a great year for film and uh I'm an, alma harrell uh, her first time directing, she won the DGA for Best First Feature, and I definitely agree with that. She is going to be a star in the filmmaking industry coming up. Um, makes me sad that this film got overlooked, but I'm your cheerleader, Honey Boy. So, <laughs> Yeah, I really wanted to watch Honey Boy, uh, but I did not get around to seeing it like many other movies this year, sadly. Okay, uh, my number 11 pick is a film that I am sure uh, many of you, if not all of you, have not seen because... Um, Outside of like the festival that I saw this in, I you know I did not hear about this film at all. It is a film called Savage. Um, that's the French title for it, with a U after the A. <laughs> so was it Sauvage? Savage, I guess. Savage? Yeah, it's just wild in English. Oh, okay. Um, this movie really blew me away. One of the uh, earlier movies I saw this year. Um, it follows a male prostitute on the streets of France, um, and his. He's, he's a very tender character that doesn't seem to fit in in the environment that he's working in. A very graphic... I, I remember I said that Climax has the most disturbing scene of the year. I take that back because I forgot about this movie. This has, by far, the most disturbing scene of the year. And one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen. It was painful. It was so hard to watch. But this movie, I think, is so... it For all its extremely explicit moments, it the main character carries the film so well because he has such... It is a search for love in such a dirty and exploitative environment because the main character, he he has such a tender soul and that's what the whole film is centered around, that he, you know, he is not made for this job. And the emotional scenes where we see him break down and kind of break character and the bonds that he tries to form with his fellow prostitutes who just view this as more of a job, but for him, he is, you know, he's trying to find love just in all the wrong places. I found it to be heartbreaking. The ending of this movie, one of my, my favorite endings of the year. Um, I don't think this is on any streaming services, but um, if you can rent it, uh, please do. Um, I mean, this is I, this is an NC-17 film. It's really, really graphic, but it, so be warned. But it is a very, very tender film. Uh, beautiful movie. Uh, yeah, I have not seen that film, so I can't comment on it. Um, but I'm going to let a another clip introduce my number 11 film of the year, which I'm sure not a lot of you have heard on a best of the year list. A new chapter of my life has begun. Already I can feel the weight of this crown I wear. I've been forced to rely upon the counsel of men whose loyalty I question every waking moment. I need men around me I can trust. I'm here because you are my friend. King has enough friends. King has only followers and foe. But I will come with you. So as you heard there, Timothy Chalamet as King Henry V and the King. Uh, David Michaud and Joel Edgerton adapted three Shakespeare plays into this film. And I feel like this is probably the best film of the year that people aren't talking about as one of the best films of the year. When I watched it, I really don't know why this isn't being talked about 
as one of the best films of the year. Uh, it expertly adapts the Shakespeare plays that it's based on and drops the Shakespearean language to give it a more real feeling. You know, obviously Shakespeare is a genius and his his uh, his uh, plays are beautiful. The dialogue is beautiful, but to really tell the story that they wanted to tell with the grittiness that they wanted to tell it, the dialogue was too beautiful almost to tell this story where they needed to take that out and have it have real dialogue. And I feel like it works so well. And as a fan of that work, I love these plays. I've taken multiple Shakespeare classes at this point. I've read a ton of Shakespeare and I love these plays. Um, it worked for me. Dropping, dropping the, the language cleaned up the film. It made it much more alive. Uh, for me than the other adaptations of these works like I know there's an adaptation starring Tom Hiddleston that is also very good but um it, it just didn't quite work as well for me than this film Chalamet is so different in this film than we've seen him in any other performance he starts the film um in a different gear than he ends the film he starts the film as like this drunken mess um almost like you know a 14th 15th century version of his character in Lady Bird but then once he becomes the king, he goes into a serious dark place that we've never seen Timothy Chalamet go to yet. And it's such a great thing to see this this actor who we know can do a couple things so well, seeing, seeing him get the material to be like, no, I'm not just um, Laurie from Little, from Little Women, who I'm great at being. I'm also this all-powerful king. And I love to be able to see that... Um, the fact that it perfectly shows that arc from being a drunken fool to being the stoic king of England who leads his country to war with France against Robert Pattinson's uh, Dolphine. Um, it's such an incredible performance by Chalamet. Another great performance in this film is Joel Edgerton, who flips the character of Falstaff, who is, yes, a drunken fool, but you see the pain behind that character in a, think, a way that it never quite comes across in Shakespeare's play that I love the way that Michaud and Edgerton wrote this character to be more of a, really a character with PTSD than a, just a drunken fool as he's portrayed in the, um, in the, uh, in the play. Um, never quite seen an adaptation like that. And I think it overall improves the film to the point where the ending is so strong. The last half hour of this film where there's an actual battle scene is so great. Um, it's one of the best history films of the past decade. And I love it a lot. Yeah, so I did get around to seeing The King. Um, wasn't quite as big as a fan. I found it to just be, um, I don't know, just pretty uh, pretty boring. I did, Timothy Chalamet did, did a very good job. You thought it was boring. Yeah. Wow, that's oh, not a I word think I it's, would I think it's also a use. personal preference thing because in general, I just don't really like movies set in that time period. Like medieval kind of really i like those. i just i don't know like I, I i can't stand braveheart like i just never got into i don't know that time period just i don't jive with it but um the uh the fight sequence at the end the oh. battle is just incredible god when he yells on me and runs into battle i'm like yes i'm ready to go I mean, just brick wall. squirming around in the mud and falling i felt that and pattinson is fantastic hilarious mm -hmm. uh, yeah very movie. funny film as well and very i love funny. the cinematography of this film yeah definitely definitely a very a pretty looking film and the production design gotta gotta give it that too like it, it looks really well it does look the cool. sets are incredible yeah all right number 10 for me we're getting to the top 10 like yes Floyd's, we are yes. into the top 10 it's the thick of it the nitty-gritty uh like floyd said i'm surprised that this movie is at number 10 um because i love this movie to death but it just shows how you know how many good movies are in my top 10 uh uncut gems that's your number 10 yeah oh my god i there uh, yeah um 
Oh my god. <laughs> I, but uh, like, don't let that fool you. I love this movie to death. Um, I mean, Adam Sandler gives an amazing performance in this, completely snubbed. Um, he's done dramatic roles before to great effect, um, but never something like this, where I think this is like a great blend of what he brings to a lot of his comedies with like that kinetic energy, while also just ramping it up to this sleazy, slimy character who makes so many bad decisions, but you're always somehow rooting for in some way or another. And the, just watching his life fall apart, watching everything crumble around him, knowing what is coming, um, it's an insanely enjoyable movie. Like Good Time, it's incredibly tension-filled. The Safdie bros never let you off the hook. The, the editing, the claustrophobic cinematography, the lighting in this movie is so very pale and hazy, fluorescent, indoor store lighting. It just feels very... Dull. Yes. Um, very, you know, contrasted to Good Time's very neon, um, trippy vibe to it. I, I like Good Time uh, better than this movie, but still, I, I love this movie so much. Um, me and Floyd have talked about this on our other uh, movie journal po podcast, but in addition... The last to, one. Yes, but in addition to Sandler, Julia Fox is fantastic in this movie. Um, in what I believe is her first mm -hmm. first uh, uh, role in, in a movie. Um, I thought she was great. Once again, the Safi Bros proved they are fantastic at finding these unknown people that they're just friends with in New York City and putting them in a movie, and it feels so realistic. From her to the gangsters to the random lowlifes who wander into his store. Um, it's all fantastic. Uh, yes, it, it absolutely is. Coming to number 10 for me is a film that we already discussed again. It is Netflix and Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. Uh, he's still got it, man. 70, 70 plus going strong. He's still making fantastic films. Um, the de-aging technology actually, I think, worked really well in this film. There are some, like, lack of motion, range of motion things that you can't change with the de-aging technology. Specifically, specifically one moment where De Niro kicks someone when he's supposed to be, like, 45, and it looks like an 80-year-old man trying to kick someone. Mm -hmm. But besides that, I think the actual look worked really well. Um, welcome back, Joe Pesci. We are all glad to be graced by your presence once again. Did he um, get nominated? He did. This? Okay, good. Him and Pacino both got nominated for this film. Fantastic. Um, See, I would have given it to De Niro over Pacino, actually. They're both in supporting, though. Oh. Pesci and Pacino are both supporting. De Niro would be. Uh, oh, okay. I see. I see. So, um, so, yeah, Pesci is fantastic in this film. He is my favorite member of the cast. Um, I, I agree. I really like De Niro. I wouldn't. I'm okay with him not getting Oscar nominated. I do think Pacino and Pesci are, are better in the film, and I think there's other. I think I think they fit into the supporting actor category better than De Niro fits in the act, best actor category. Specifically, like you said, I think I would put Adam Sandler over De Niro into the best actor category. Okay. I, I don't okay. think Jonathan Price. I like Jonathan Price in the Two Popes. It, I I don't think that's an Oscar worthy performance, but I really appreciate this film for the truly spiteful feelings it has towards these people and towards organized crime and how useless all of this is. And what I love about this film is that, like, when you're introduced to these people, specifically the one that sticks out the most to me is Harvey Keitel's character, who's, like, the head of the gang in uh, the mafia in Philadelphia. He is the big shot, and he has this big introduction scene with Buffalino and um, Frank. And as soon as he, he shows up, a boom freeze frame and it sh pops up how this guy is killed in a really brutal way and it just shows 
how childish and just really unnecessary all this stuff is that like yes you have this power but it's so fleeting and that's what i love so much about this film is that this is uh scorsese looking at the mob movie from the end of the end part of his life looking back on like what was all of this for you know like what why did why do people do this and he's always had this attitudes like i haven't seen goodfellas but like looking back at mean streets who i what which i just watched um has that same attitude as someone who is around that now and now this movie is looking back on it being like what the fuck were you guys doing like wouldn't you rather be here now alive and clean than doing this back then um and i, I really really appreciate it and how much this this uh this film despised mobsters and the pain that they cause um frankenhoffa's relationship is very interesting and i love pacino in this film i think he does a really great job and seeing Pacino and De Niro get to have so much screen time together uh, was such a cool was such a cool thing. The last hour of this film, as you said, has a damn near perfect sequence for the first half an hour of it, mm-hmm. followed by a damn near perfect sequence in mm-hmm. the last half an hour, yep. where the last half an hour of this film is so ruminative on not only this film but kind of Scorsese's entire oeuvre of the mobster movie, and to the point where it has my favorite final shot of the year Mm. of simply a door sitting open Mm -hmm. and it is such a scathing indictment of this main character that it like like when it ended i audibly went wow like it was it was incredible i got to see this film in a theater i had my popcorn and soda fully ready with my you know i had my snack for a three and a half hour movie i had my drink i fully prepared that i was gonna be like okay i'm gonna take a bathroom break i sat my ass in that chair for three and a half hours and watched this movie and didn't miss a second of it i love this movie Mm, it's a fantastic movie i i I interpret the last shot a little bit bit differently a little bit more hopefully than you do but still there's there's i mean the last hour of this movie is so uh, one specific phone call that de niro has it's just Mm -hmm. such a good scene with uh, talking about the one with his, yes. with his daughter. Or uh, no, the wife. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic scene. All right, moving on to number nine. This is a movie that I know Floyd has seen, but he does not like. <laughs> um, the souvenir. Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> a movie which I loved so much and was so happy. Um, I had seen the trailer for this film going in. I uh, was pretty excited. Really blew me away though. Um, Joanna Hogg, semi autobiographical story about um her uh growing up as a uh, film student in the 80s and falling in love with this older uh wealthier man who turns out to be a terrible person i was gonna say who's a piece of shit terrible person tom burke who plays him plays him fantastically you hate this guy every single second he's on the screen he is just an absolute dick um, and just a, a really bad person. A lot of dark stuff going on there, which uh, if you've seen the movie, you know what's going on. Um, I thought this movie... I know your criticism with this movie was that you felt very disconnected from it, which I can understand because the cinematography is very static. You mm-hmm. know, uh, Very much so reminded me of First Reformed in that respect. Sure. But it reminded me of First Reformed because I was so connected to, fir- to First Reformed despite the static cinematography and despite the very gray, washed out, you know, colors. I liked First Reformed a lot more than this film. Yes, yes. I, w- I was just so in tune with every single scene, every, like, every single, di- every single character interaction, I felt it, and I felt that it was pushing the characters forward, pushing the story forward. 
Um, I know a lot of criticism has been uh, made on why didn't the um uh, the girl just leave? Um, oh, I'm forgetting her name. Uh, the actress is Tilda Swinton's uh, yeah, daughter. Yeah, uh, Honor Swinton Byrne. Honor Swinton Byrne. Tilda Swinton's daughter. Tilda Swinton is in the movie as well. As her mother. Yes, but I think that the movie perfectly. It, it, it is such a complex relationship, and I think it does a really good job at making you understand why while also like making you empathize with her making you hate this guy but just putting you in a very complex situation where you two are just i mean it, it's i don't know it's, it's a very ugly situation um and and i thought it made it even more impactful that it was an autobiographical story i could feel even though it is a very static you know very uh, cold movie i thought that the way that she approached it felt very not not tender because it was such a uh, a raw story, but I felt like there was so much introspection going on, like previous to making this film. I, I thought that it was lovely, one of my favorite endings of the year, and best best original song goes to this movie for um, the end credit song oh. by Anna Calvi, which I know <laughs> Floyd did not stick through. No, this movie was turned but off. But if you would have. You would have seen it at the end of the credits that they announced the part two souvenir. Oh no, part I two. saw. I heard about that. Yes, starring. No, because that was right at the that was right at the end of it, wasn't it? Wasn't that right at the end of the film? I thought it was at the very very end. I... Okay, for some reason I know I did know about the sequel. But okay, yeah. uh, which Robert Pattinson will be in, which makes me so excited. Um, I'm excited for Robert Pattinson to be in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that the ending of Maybe this film get better. The ending of this film leaves it. It, it gives us some. Um, some closure on uh, Honor Swinton Burns very fraught relationship with uh, Tom Burke but it also leaves so many questions unanswered as to what is the next phase in her life which I hope part two will explore to equal great effect uh, yeah this this movie just never <laughs> dry, jived with me uh, I wanted so badly to like it uh, but yeah I just the, the the main criticism that you were talking about was my main criticism with this like like I never connected to the character because so many of their problems were rich people problems, and I'm like, I don't care about you. Um, it's not. A, it, it's like, I don't want to shit on this movie too much, but like, like I was saying with the rich people problems, I was disconnected to there, and then I was also further disconnected to be like, why are you still with him? He is so obviously this horrible person. What I never felt, like I never even got why she was with him in the first place and why she cared enough to stay with him. Um, like you said, Honest Witten Byrne and Tom Burke are fantastic in this film. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait to see what these two do going forward. They're, they're both really, really good. Um, and, yeah, Rob Pattinson, I'll watch the sequel. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so, yeah, that's, that is Matt's number nine. So coming in at number nine is a very different kind of love story for me, and that is Noah Baumbach's marriage story. I love Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson so much. Uh, they never felt quite like my own parents in this film, but their love for each other and their love for their son just made me want to, like, just hug them. I just wanted to hug Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson throughout this entire movie, especially by the end. I just wanted to hug Adam Driver, just be like, it's okay, Dad. Uh, Noah Baumbach writes and directs uh, this film <laughs> with so much care, and that is because it is loosely based on his own divorce with actress Jennifer Jason Lee, who is fantastic. If you know um, Annihilation or The Hateful Eight, she is stars in both of those. Um, and although I don't feel like this film 100% sides with Charlie, I do feel like it kind of naturally goes that way because Charlie is the proxy for Noah in this uh, in this story. And Baumbach then still does an excellent job of giving Nicole good reasons to act the way she does. Like, like Charlie does 
one really bad thing and kind of sets the film up in, in that context once you get there. It'd be like, okay, I, I understand more of it too. There is one moment specifically of Scarlett Johansson's acting, which I can't play a clip of because it's not audio, that she, her early in the film, her and Adam Driver are having a conversation after they were at work. Um, he is the director of a theater troupe and she is the star and they got married and had a child and then, you know, at this point they are unhappy in the relationship. And they're having a conversation where he's giving her notes about a performance that they're about to have. And she's holding it together, having a, basically a professional conversation. And then as soon as she walks away into the hallway, breaks down and starts crying just because so much of it, she just, she bottles it up so much and then lets it all flow out. And it's such a beautiful moment. And that's, that, I mean, that on top of the scene that I'm going to talk about here in a minute was the reason that ScarJo got nominated finally for an Oscar. And that scene that I was talking about is the the emotional climax of the film, which is the argument scene. Um, there is only one real argument scene in this film, but the argument scene is so harrowing and powerful and it made me want to curl up in a ball and die and just get away from it. Um, it was a, a little too visceral, um, but I, I, not to take anything away from it, that's exactly what it wanted to be. Um, it made me, back was like, I'm going to make you really uncomfortable right now. Um, this is a very similar film to my number two of last year, Wildlife. Mm. Um, it's interesting that Marriage Story didn't quite connect to me as much as Wildlife. Like Wildlife was my number two. This is my number nine. I love this film and I love that film. Um, and I think the reason for that is mainly, even though the child um, in this film is eight or nine years old, and that's the age I was when my parents uh, got divorced, um, I feel like the film focused more on the adults in this film and how it affects them, and I've never gone through a divorce. So naturally, the film, I think, Wildlife, that focuses on the Ed Oxenbold character and really what he's going through during the divorce, I've connected to a little more. But uh, but still, this film this film was fantastic. This is the last Netflix film on my list. Um but they are proving themselves as a very viable studio year in, year out, making very high-quality films. I can already tell next year they're having a Spike Lee and a David Fincher film. Netflix is fucking killing it, and they are, these prestige films are the reason that I'm keeping my subscription, to be honest. So um, enjoy or don't enjoy this clip of one of the best scenes of the year between Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. You always made me aware of what I was doing wrong, how I was falling short. Life with you was joyless. So then you had to go and fuck someone you else? You shouldn't be upset that I fucked her. You should be upset that I had a laugh with her. Do you love her? No, but she didn't hate me. You hated me. You hated me. You fucked somebody we worked with. You stopped having sex with me in the last year. I never cheated on you. That was cheating on me. But there's so much I could have done. I was a director in my 20s who came from nothing and was suddenly on the cover of fucking Time Out New York. I was hot shit and I wanted to fuck everybody and I didn't. And I loved you and I didn't want to lose you. But I'm in my 20s and I didn't want to lose that too and I kind of did. And you wanted so much, so fast. I didn't even want to get married. Fuck it. There's so much I didn't do. <laughs> Oh, thanks for that. You're welcome. I can't believe I have to know you forever. Oh, you're fucking insane. And you're fucking winning. Are you kidding me? I wanted to be married. I'd already lost. You didn't love me as much as I loved you. What does that have to do with L.A.? What? You're so merged with your own selfishness, you don't even identify it as selfishness anymore. You're 
Saint Henry would be okay. I know people get an illness and they get hit by a car and die. Hope you guys liked that clip right there. So we're gonna keep moving along on our list with my number eight um, of the year. <coughs> Excuse me, fighting off a cold right now. Um, Parasite, um, <laughs> a movie which is coming up on Floyd's list probably pretty soon, or maybe later. Who knows? Who knows? We'll find where, out. Who knows where it will fall? Wait and see. Um, or wait and listen. Yes. <laughs> Not see because you can't see it. This, this is an audio medium. This is audio. Um, I didn't know anything about this movie going into it. I intentionally kept myself blind, trying not to watch uh, any trailers. After I saw it, I'm like, you are seeing this film. Yes, right Floyd now. saw this movie first, told me it was mind-blowingly good, and I saw it, and the movie ended, and I didn't even know what to think. I mean, the tonal shift that occurs in this film about, you know, I don't know, 45, 50 minutes into it, um, it threw me for a loop. And at first, I was like, I don't know if this... And then two seconds in, I was like, oh, nope, this is... Yep, Perfect, this is this exactly is, what it needed to because be. Because I think that Bong Joon-ho does such a great job at almost kind of stalling the story out in the beginning where it, it starts... Intentionally. Yes, it kind of starts to lose steam where you're like, okay, um, are we going to drag this out for the next hour and a half? And I love how he plays around with that to build so much tension. Yeah, in, in the one scene you're like where what? you're like why like what is this movie and then all of a sudden oh and then uh, yes and like so many others other movies this year uh knives out and um oh what was the other one um uh i forget but uh dealing with class mm, class ready was, or not yes ready or not. class was a very prevalent theme this year yes, and this film very rightfully so yes. for our current state of our living and out of all you know those three films that we just talked about uh, this one definitely tackles it most uh head on the, yes and, and the most intensely um this film is terrifying at times it's also deeply hilarious this movie has beautiful cinematography stunning editing uh, the montage sequences in this movie are so well edited um every single shot feels so intentional and yeah, I, I found it to be uh, utterly fantastic. I really do have to see it a second time because, mm -hmm. I mean, it, it is just a lot to process, a lot to take in. Well, after we finish this recording, I'm going to buy the Blu-ray so we can watch it again. Um, coming in at number eight for me is a film that I know you haven't seen, which makes me sad. Um, but I'm going to introduce it with anything. Well, you can't introduce this movie with anything other than a piano riff. Dad is a fat boy from nowhere. Get to be a soul man. Gotta kill the person you were born to be in order to become the person you want to be. I'm thinking of changing my name to Elton. But that's my name. Yeah, I know. You can be the best-selling artist in America if you desire. Who's trying to do something bold? Why are you still something flashy? Can you even 
didn't play the piano in those? Let him know who you are. And just don't kill yourself with drugs. So how does it feel to be a star? It's never gonna last. Let's just enjoy it while we can. Our sleeping arrangements get out. All of this is gone. I just hope you realise you're choosing a life of being alone forever. Don't you want to just sing without this ridiculous paraphernalia? People don't pay to see Reg White. They pay to see Elton John. Sorry. I know. How much pressure I'm under? Not really. I'll still be collecting my 20% long after you've killed yourself. Maybe I should have tried to be more ordinary. You were never ordinary. And as you heard there, Rocket Man is my number eight film of the year. Uh, this film is exactly what Bohemian Rhapsody should have been, and it's so much better than that film. And I'm also going to posit something that might upset some people. Uh, Joel, uh, Joel, um, Taron Egerton is better than Rami Malek in this film. Uh, he is the same in terms of performance, I think quality in terms of the performance, but he actually sings all the songs in the film, unlike Rami Malek, who just uh, lip syncs it. Not to take anything away from Rami Malek, I love Rami Malek, and I love Rami Malek in Bohemian Rhapsody, but Taron Egerton really like takes him and one-ups him. Um, this film perfectly fits with Elton as a person, and is the only way that this film could have been, that a film about his life could have been made in this amazing rock musical um, it is the best musical since La La Land, and the musical sequences themselves are breathtaking in some respects, and then superbly personal in others. Um, I love the way that the film isn't stuck in the original meanings of the films themselves, or the, the songs themselves, and uh, placement of the songs within the film uh, don't necessarily coincide with timing, but instead it coincides with how Elton is feeling at that time and tells Elton's story in a very, very emotional way. My favorite example of this, just to give one from the film, is their uh, their use of the song "Tiny Dancer," which comes uh, came out much uh, not much after, but after this point in his career. This is a song uh, that is used early in the film when he is first starting out, getting his career, um, and it so wonderfully demonstrates the longing that I've always felt from that song. That it, it it's not an inherently sad song, but there's the words of it and the way they use it in this film make it brilliantly melancholy and then there's one sequence right before that where elton is having his first big break in um in los angeles at the troubadour and he's playing the song crocodile rock and he when he is singing he literally starts to float and the entire audience then starts to float with him and it's just this amazing point in the film where you feel the elation that he does at this moment and how pure of a moment this is for him and I love that moment. Um, I've listened to the soundtrack so many times since the film has been released. And honestly, I've listened to it like it to the point. I've listened to it so much to the point that my year rap on Spotify, Taron Egerton was my fifth most listened to um, artist. Like I listened to the soundtrack of this film that much, specifically their rendition on Benny and the Jets, which is 
so good. I love Benny and the Jets, but then this film turned that into like a rockin' masterpiece. I loved it. And it introduced me to Elton John's music in general. I heard Rocket Man before. I knew Tiny Dancer before this movie. But all the rest of his songs that are used in this film are really, really great. Um, this is the most rewatchable film of the year. I love the production design, the choreography of the dancing, and the songs um, throughout the film are fantastic. It should have gotten more attention on the sound end. Uh, for this, for Bohemian Rhapsody to win all those sound mixing and sound editing Oscars last year, and the fact that this movie didn't get nominated is ridiculous. And not to revisit a rant from last year, but this film is much better edited than Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, this is a truly magnificent film and a heartwarming film, and you should see it now. Yes, a film that I have not seen, but Floyd is always imploring me to watch, and I, it's, I will. It's so great. I will. Um, yeah, you're definitely one of the, um, in the minority. Like, people liked this movie, but it's not, like, you know, on most people's end-of-the-year list. Yeah, it was, like, it was one of those films, like, another film that I'm about to talk about was around my, like, 11 to 15 range, and I think a lot of the movies that I bumped back there for in favor of the movies that came out earlier in the year, I just kind of needed to, like... Like not take try to take away my recency bias a little bit. Yes, you know, in yeah. terms of like Honey Boy is my number twelve because it was one of the films that I saw late in the year. It was in my top ten, and then I like had to kind of sit down and critically think about it a little. Yes, I agree. All right, um, coming in for me, this is my ooh, seven. What, seven number seven of the year. Um, Ad Astra, mm. a film that uh, oh wow, very pleasantly surprised by. Um, it got generally uh, pretty good reviews with some people, you know, praising it immensely, but it definitely uh, was it got not... got mixed reviews, for sure. Yeah, it definitely, you know, didn't make any splash in the award circuit, but mm -mm. what a deeply moving sci-fi film. Brad Pitt gives a fantastic performance, this Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, a great year for him, in a film that is a lot different than what the trailers sell it. The first trailer. The There's first two trailer. trailers. Okay. One trailer really accurately sells the film and then the other makes it look like an action film yes okay so the, the one that i have seen is the first one it is why it kind of threw me off um but this comes from the director of lost city of z who was uh on my 2017 playlist definitely very much so in that same vibe in some sequences with the dreamy atmosphere there is a point in this movie similar to lost city of z where the beginning of this movie is um you know, uh, nothing too uh, experimental, uh, fairly, you know, sci-fi. Straightforward. Uh, yes. It's some amazing elements. The space pirate scene is one of my favorite scenes of the year. Mm. And that just blew my mind with how... Yeah, on the moon. Yes, amazing. Um, but then uh, uh, the last 45 minutes of this movie when, I mean, it, it is just all about Brad Pitt by himself on this mission. It becomes such a dreamy, time is blending in, you don't know... Uh, when this is happening because he is just floating out in space the voiceover that the voiceover worked so well to it, it was never expository it was just so revealing with this character and, and almost the, matter of fact yes and the ending of this movie um the, i think the story it is a sci-fi film but like all sci-fi films it is grounded in such human relatable emotions and um if you've seen this movie, the conclusion with his father and uh, the way it goes about doing that, I thought was just beautiful. Um, gorgeous cinematography as well. For sure. Coming in at number seven for me is a film that Matt mentioned already, and I'm going to let a clip once again intro with some music. So take the 
That's a classic right there. What does I got five on it mean? It's about drugs. It's not about drugs. It's a dope song. Don't do drugs. Get in rhythm. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Can't believe how big Dave got. You hear Gabe got a boat? <laughs> He's kidding, right? He's not kidding. Hey, I think it's vodka clock. Oh, yeah. Where's Jason? I didn't know if you were lost. Stick with me, and I'll keep you safe. There's a family in our driveway. It's probably the neighbors. But y'all scared of a family? Hi, can I help you? Zora, put your shoes on. If you want to get crazy, we can get crazy. What are you people? It's us. So there you heard the rendition of I've Got Five on It from Us, directed by Jordan Peele. Uh, Peele made one of my favorite films of the decade with Get Out. I knew that this film wouldn't live up to the hype, but this film looked and was incredible as well. Uh, I love this ink blot test of a film. You can really see whatever you want to see in this film, and I think that's probably where the trailers and the promotional material with the ink blot was trying to get out of it. That like this is a movie that's kind of up to interpretation, and I really love that about this film because by the end of it, things are not fully explained and you kind of have to fill in the gaps yourself and I love that about this film because life isn't always explained the way that it needs to be or you feel like you want it to be and I really love that about this film uh Lupita Nyong'o gives the best performance of the year period like the best performance of anyone in any film uh this year the fact that she didn't even get nominated for the Oscar is a travesty um her ability to perfectly play off herself amazes me to this day and the way they shot this film was they would shoot whoever was the dominant between the two red or adelaide um in the scene before so she could react to that and just being able to like have playback loop in your brain to be able to play off yourself and knowing exactly what those emotions were that's an incredible feat of acting and for for all the cast but lupita especially um like you said winston duke also fantastic in the film elizabeth moth elizabeth moss and the two kids are fantastic as well um yeah, the ensemble the ensemble does a great job. Uh, I think it's by far the scariest film of the year. This film scared the shit out of me. The point where we were, we were re-watching it, I'd seen the movie, I think that was my third or fourth time at that point, and it was still unnerving. It, it's still, like, there were still moments, like, especially when the uh, the tethered version of the daughter was doing... <laughs> Excuse me. The tethered version of the daughter uh, was doing things. Yeah, there it is, right on the recording. Um, the tethered thing... The tethered of the daughter, there we go, had has this smile. And it is truly one of the most... Uh, sorry, if something funny is happening while I'm trying to talk about this. Um, truly one of the scariest moments of the year. The podcast had to go off the rails at some point. <laughs> um, 
this film was also so much fun to talk about and theorize about uh, what it's what it means, what it's trying to say, um, what the ending of the film really means, and specifically one action by the son, like really questions like what does he know, what doesn't he know, those kind of things. Very, very interesting. And on a technical aspect, um, the score is fantastic, just like Get Out, um, but also the cinematography and the production design really perfectly play into the eerie mood of this film that starts from the very beginning scene the very um, one of the best openings of the year for sure i love the opening scene it's perfectly uh haunting and the great way to set up the film that follows um peel was ignored this oscar season but uh he shouldn't have not as good as get out but still great and needs recognition as well yes all right moving on to my number six of the year um, another highly entertaining movie, Knives Out. Oh, okay. I was um, wondering if this was going to make your list. Oh, absolutely. Um, I love this movie to death. Um, I was, uh, you know, going into it with high hopes, expecting a very, you know, entertaining movie. Even after Last Jedi? Yes. Okay, I will say, I, I mean, I despised Last Jedi, uh, you know, down to my core. I hate that movie. My number four of 2017, I think. But, I thoroughly respect Ryan Johnson as a filmmaker. Because Brick is amazing, and this is amazing. I just think Star Wars went off the rails in the direction he took it. Did not work at all. However, he is so good in this movie, and so good at extracting fantastic, distinct individual performances from all these actors, making all of them memorable, regardless of how much screen time they have or not. I know, like, some critics said that they felt that, like, um, you know, they didn't feel... uh, the, uh, some characters arc as much as others because they weren't featured as much. But I, I mean, I felt connected and to each one of these family members. Uh, Michael Shannon, hilarious. Uh, he was one of my favorites in the movie. Um, Chris Evans, I was so happy to see him mm. in a, you know, other than Marvel role now that he actually has some free time in his life to do yeah. projects other than Captain America. I can't wait to see what he does. Much has been said about his sweaters in the movie, yes. but may I reiterate those the sweaters? The costume design. So fantastic. Um, I was also very surprised at um, the level of social commentary in this film. Oh, yeah. There's one scene in a, in a living room um, between Don Johnson's character and mm-hmm. kind of the rest of the family that then pulls her in. And they start a recurring joke there that works so well. This was such a 2019 movie mm-hmm. or 2020 movie, I guess. Um, yes. This, on, this, this, this time. Yes. This time. Like. I can't wait to watch this movie, you know, years later because it, it, it's such a classic story type. Uh, you know, this uh, uh, murder mystery. Yeah, the Daniel it. Craig. Uh, oh, Benoit Blanc. Benoit Blanc is, you know, very much so a caricature of the uh, uh, Agatha Christie mm-hmm. murder in the Orient Express. Uh, I, I'm... In fact, in uh, Clouseau. Yes, yes. Um, just in a much more goofy and comical and loving to donuts way i was That's the whole. i was completely at the whim of this movie's twists and turns um i was surprised with every single shock and revelation i thought that it was told in a very surprising way the way they revealed some things from the very beginning and then was kind of worked their way backwards with some things fantastic film highly enjoyable oh yeah it's it's, it's getting a little bit of a rerun now at least i know in in Pittsburgh here, it's it's back uh, in theaters, so if you can if you got a chance to go see it and haven't seen it yet, definitely go check that out. Made both of our lists. Fantastic film. 
Coming in at number six is another repeat. Uh, it is James Gray's Ad Astra. Uh, this film really hit me on an emotional level, and I knew that from the beginning. Uh, beginning of the film when Roy is monologuing basically about his depression and how overall uh, he feels about his job and the people around him, like, really hit me and kind of, kind of, this film, not to get overly personal, but kind of, like, kind of jolted me a little bit to, like, realize, like, maybe I feel it, like, feel like this character sometimes, and that was a very, a very moving experience and not something that happens very often where a film really makes you introspect um, on yourself and how you are, how you are feeling yourself. On top of that, the film's plot around his father felt super authentic it was deeply heartbreaking once that actually plays out that the, the scene that culminates and the two the really two or three scenes that culminate between roy and uh his father played by tommy lee jones uh really really broke my heart and i love that sequence that you were talking about of him floating out to, to neptune um it is this wonderfully dreamy terrifying uh look at um loneliness and kind of puts his depression in the most surreal place uh this film is like 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 what i feel like a lot of people haven't talked about this film in terms of depression but i feel like this this whole film is a contemplation on depression Mm -hmm. and really what comes from that and i feel like a lot of people miss that at least maybe like of all the discussions i've heard about i've never really heard someone bring up depression i'm like that's really what this film is about and trying to overcome that depression and trauma as well kind of like dr sleep but in a much different way yeah once again all the below the line people here should have gotten more credit it did get a sound mixing nomination but cinematography and the visual effects in this film are so so well done um i'm gonna quickly talk about this film another comparison to another film that i don't like quite as much even though i do enjoy this film as well and that's interstellar like this is a better version of that where it's telling a deeply personal story through the lens of space and time um but i always felt more with this character than i ever did with mcconaughey's character i don't really know why maybe because this felt more grounded in terms of like it's just us going to the moon then mars then neptune and coming back there's no black holes there's no black holes there's no like going into the black holes and messing with space and time i don't know i always felt more connected with this film it felt more deeply rooted in reality and i think because i felt that connection with like with roy's character on a deeper level than just like oh he has a family um i don't i really love this film i love i think it's one of the best last like the last monologue is so fantastic and beautiful and ends on an amazing shot of hope and uh, yeah, I love it very much. And I thought Brad Pitt was fantastic. He had a very subdued performance compared to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which he's going to win an Oscar for next weekend. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, fantastic film. Absolutely. Alrighty, we are getting down to it. The top five top of the five year. Top five of the year. Oh man. All right, I'm going to play a clip here. I'm going to let this one introduce my movie. Uh, so enjoy this clip. Daddy! Let Neptune strike ye dead, Winslow! Hark! Hark! Triton! Hark! Bellow! Bid our father, the Sea King, rise from the depths full, foul in his fury. Black waves teeming with salt foam to smother this young mouth with pungent slime. To choke ye, 
engorging your organs till ye turn blue and bloated with builds and brine and can scream no more. Only when he, crowned in cockle shells with slithering tentacle tail and steaming beard, take up his fell befinned arm. His coral time trident screeches banshee-like in the tempest and plunges right through your gullet, bursting ye a bulging bladder no more, but a blasted bloody film now a nothing for the harpies and the souls of dead sailors to pick and claw and feed upon only to be lapped up and swallowed by the infinite waters of the dread emperor himself. Forgotten to any man, to any time, forgotten to any god or devil, forgotten even to the sea, for any stuff or part of Winslow, even any scantling of your soul is Winslow no more, but is now Itself the sea. All right, have it your way. I like to cook it. Alrighty, so you have just heard a clip from the movie The Lighthouse. Oh boy. Which I know is not on Floyd's list. <laughs> I, I didn't dislike this film, it just didn't make my yes, honorable yes. mentions or top 20. Um, I think this falls into the genre of horror that is a bit too, too out weird there, a bit too weird uh, for Floyd, yes. which I absolutely love. And I hint, can't stand your farts. And hint, you'll see it again <laughs> somewhere on this list. Mm. Weird horror. Mm. Um, this movie. wonder what that could be. Maybe the um, film that almost made my bottom five? Uh, maybe. maybe. <laughs> um, possibly the greatest cinematography of this year. It's absolutely mm. stunning. Second best cinematography of the year. To 1917. Oh, okay. That, that's fair. You know, uh, no, yeah, yeah, you are. You I are agree right with there. you. The cinematography is fantastic in this film. But 1970 is a, a very yeah. hard one. I, I agree with you. Um, an abs- I uh, coming off of his equally equally great The Witch movie, which The Vivitch, The Vivitch, which I love to death and is terrifying. I need to see that. Story. I like this movie actually better. Two um, amazing performances from Pattinson once again. Um, Both in, are great. In between me and Floyd, three times on this list. Mm-hmm. Um, Defoe, amazing as well. I I would have given them both nominations. At least one of them should have gotten something. It's such a shame. They are they are so the crux of this film. Oh, fantastic! And they never let so weird. They never let the just insane dialogue get away from them. All the rambling, hard to understand. Yeah. Dinner scenes while they're chowing down on beans feels so. I needed subtitles though. I couldn't understand no, them. At no, no, I agree feels so intensely tension-filled. Um, there are some shots in this movie that are just some of my favorite shots of the year. Um, one shot of a mermaid, kind yes. of a long shot that's just beautiful. Um, and yes, yes, the under of her underwater. Mm-hmm. It's just gorgeous. And the, and the one where they, where they find the mermaid, absolutely stunning. Um, the dialogue in this movie was taken all from old Herman Melville books and old uh, seaman journals. Really? Which is so interesting. And I, I thought that it worked... Uh, to such great effect. One of my favorite endings of this year. Terrified me, shook me to my core. I think it gives you so many interpretations of how you can read this movie. I've heard one one of my friends um, describe this movie as 
this entire thing is a, a metaphor for marriage, <laughs> which there are some very homoerotic undertones in this movie. Um, um, I know in one interview, uh, Robert Pattinson said how his character wants to call, you know, Willem Dafoe is his daddy in the movie. I think he referred to him as, which kind of made me a little bit uncomfortable, but I can see what he's saying. That made me uncomfortable. <laughs> Definitely watch this movie. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, this is a recommend for me as well. I really like this film a lot. Um, I didn't, I didn't love it the way you did, but you know, no, yeah, this really good film. Go check it out. Um, coming in number five is another film that I know you haven't seen, which makes me sad. Uh, it is Jojo Rabbit, directed by Taika Waititi. Uh, this film was my number 20 of the year the first time I saw it. Jumped all the way to five last weekend upon rewatch. Um, I, I don't know if I just didn't pay attention to it the way I should have the first time I saw it. I was actually organizing um, a project that me and you did last year, or la at the end of last year for my one class. Um, <clears throat> that was the night before, and I feel like my brain was just preoccupied. But going into the second viewing, um, I, I absolutely love this film. Taika Waititi's wholly unique film it, it, this is a, a completely taika waititi film no one else could have made this movie the way it is this is a taika waititi film such a relevant commentary on the world today through this fantasy crazy land of nazi germany this like caricature caricature version of nazi germany um it is it is so great um on top of being hilarious like this film is hysterical there are some really uncomfortable jokes that really are funny in this film um not to mention especially through the doofus hitler character played by taika waititi who is so over the top and hysterical in this film um really showing like the man child and just like the, the just how much of a piece of shit hitler was i mean that's not a bold thing to say but you know like the way he the way he portrays him as just this bumbling fool is just feels again like honey boy feels very cathartic Ultimately, the film's a very sad tale and gets very serious throughout the film. While, while it is funny, it balances tone. You know, I'm going to be talking about a film later that really well balances different tones. Um, this film does it as well in spades. There is one moment involving a butterfly that Jojo kind of just follows this butterfly. And what it lands on literally took my breath away when I saw it. Like, I gasped it was that emotionally harrowing it is that scene itself is one of my favorite scenes of the year um because of how just heartbreaking it was it took my breath away the first time i saw it and the second time i i cried for at least a minute straight like it was just it was so powerful um this film only works if roman griffin davis and thomas and mckenzie absolutely nail it two younger actors thomas and mckenzie who if you've seen have you seen leave no trace no. Okay. Well, she was she was the lead in that film. Um, this is her second big film. Those two are fantastic. Ro Roman Griffin Davis actually received a Golden Globe nomination for this film, and I know we had a conversation where I was like, I don't know if he quite deserved that. Rewatching it, he absolutely deserved that. Um, ScarJo 100% also deserves her Oscar nomination for this film, as does YTD for the screenplay. Uh, there's there's some. Um, I love the kid who plays Yorkie. Um, he is so, so funny. Uh, Sam Rockwell is hysterical in this film. Uh, there, there's some there's some truly, truly hysterical and then really moving moments in this film. And I think it's a really, really relevant commentary on hate today and how hate is taught and not um, naturally occurring in that we are doing this to ourselves as humanity, as, as a species. 
that we are the ones causing hate between each other, not some natural thing within us because of the way we look or what God we pray to. And it's, it's a very, very moving experience by the end of the film that left me um, very emotionally um, riveted. Yeah, uh, a film I need to see. Um, alrighty, uh, coming in on number four. Number four of 2019. We've got a film that Floyd is going to talk about soon, I, I think. Um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like you said, with the with the recency bias, um, I saw this movie, because it came out pretty July. early. July, yeah, yeah, pretty early in the year. So I saw it in the summertime. And it, at that point, it was number one on my list. But mm -hmm. as if I can see more movies, it dropped down. And then when I was thinking about it and listening to some interviews, I forgot how fantastic of a movie this is. And just, I mean... In terms of Tarantino, I think this might be my second favorite Tarantino movie. Uh, you know, Pulp Fiction being number one. I, I, I think this movie is just um, utterly brilliant. It is such an atmospheric piece as compared to his completely batshit crazy, um, you know, Inglorious Bastards. Django um, Unchained. Django Unchained. This is a much more toned down... Um, chill of a movie. Very chill movie. Like Brad Pitt's character, a lot of this movie is spent around driving around listening to music and just looking at all the beautiful sights in 1960s LA. But every single shot, you can feel the love Tarantino has for the filmmaking industry, for classic Hollywood, for you know classic spaghetti westerns, classic karate films, classic all these niche genres of film. I've, um, I've heard one um, critic describe Tarantino, which I think sums him up perfectly, is that how he makes his movies is, I'm paraphrasing here, but I, I believe she said that um, Tarantino refuses to let go of the past in other ways that like other directors don't that he he like clings so tightly to these niche things that uh, are not other people don't find that special but the way he just he finds the value yes in he finds the value in these things and just in in this film which is just you know the classic Hollywood the star system but also just the really tender friendship between DiCaprio and Pitt, who just do a fantastic job while also delivering one of the a very emotional ending with, I mean from the beginning of the movie, you know in the title I mean, this is a fairy tale, this is once upon a time this is what could happen and Cliff and Rick aren't even real, real yes, people yes, in, in the vein of um, an inglorious bastard with revisionist history, this kind of takes the same route I thought this was a beautiful, uh, absolutely gorgeous movie. I need to give it a rewatch. But also, one of the funniest scenes. Oh, my gosh. DiCaprio was fantastic. And I'm actually going to mm. play a clip now uh, with one of my favorite scenes of the year with uh, uh, Rick Dalton uh, freaking out a bit in yes. his trailer, which is actually an improvised scene where he really? just let him, do his, let him do his thing, which makes it even more better. And I'd love to see DiCaprio in a role... Um, uh, different from what he usually plays. You know, this is not a swagger, cool... This is not Jordan Belfort. This is washed up, um, insecure, um, bad actor. <laughs> it's a fantastic yeah, actor. Arguably bad actor. Fan fantastic actor DiCaprio playing a, like, washed up... Um, okay actor. Okay actor, yeah. yes. So uh, here's that clip. Enjoy this. What the fuck was that? Jesus Christ! Fuck! Fucking lines, embarrass yourself like that in front of all those goddamn people. Well, you were drinking all night. Fucking drinking again, eight goddamn fucking whiskey sours. <sighs> fucking bullshit. <laughs> You're a fucking miserable drunk. 
You fucking remembering your fucking lines. I practiced them and now I don't look like I goddamn practiced them. You're sitting there like a fucking baboon. I hate fucking whiskey, sir. I couldn't stop it fucking three or four right? Why? You're a fucking alcoholic. You fucking drink too much, huh? Every fucking night, every fucking night. That's it. That's fucking it. That's fucking it. You stop drinking right now. Alright? Make a promise to yourself you're gonna stop fucking drinking. Oh, oh. Ah! fucking girl. You're gonna show that goddamn Jim Stacy. You're gonna show all of them on that goddamn fucking set who the fuck Rick Dalton is. Alright? Let me tell you something. You don't get these lines right. I'm gonna blow your fucking brains out tonight. Alright? Your brains are gonna be splattered all over your goddamn pool. I mean it, motherfucker. Get your shit together. Alright, and uh, so we're back for a few seconds here, and I got a clip to introduce my number four of 2019. How you doing, Holly? How's it going? Hey, Howard. Put Pesach out. All right, Larry, you're a Jew again. Welcome back. I made a crazy risk to gamble. It's about to pay off. I want the Celtics to cover. I want the Celtics halftime. I want Garnett points and rebounds. What do you know? I don't know. I just know. Well, I'll tell you what I know. It's the dumbest fucking bet I ever heard of. I disagree. I disagree, Gary. What is that? I started it. You're taking my money all over town, placing bets. I'm having very serious second thoughts. Are you serious right now? I know I fucked up. Howard, where's the money right now? Howard, got my money? Howard! Is it too late? I'm done. That means nothing. It meant nothing. Please. Give me another shot. You think I'm stupid, Howard? You and your whole fucking family! I heard you resurface your fucking swimming pool. I, you know how that makes me feel. Never research. I told you about how things were gonna go. You like the way things are going now? That's my family. Get the kids out of the house. You having a good time? Yes. This is me. This is how I win. As you heard there, Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems. Uh, so so let's talk about my top four a little bit. All four of these films would have been my number one last year. Um, last year, I think I said, I think I was just hyping up last year too much as we were talking about the movies. Looking back on that list compared to this list, like last year was a vastly inferior year, I think, for film than this year. All four of the, like I said, all four of these films would have been my number one of last year. I've kind of rotated some of these around this isn't really two set. My number two through four is about as close as two through four can be. Um, but ultimately, I landed on uh, the Safdie Brothers Uncut Gems as my number four film of the year. This is a heart attack of a film. Um, we had a full podcast on this one already, so I'm not going to go too deep into it here. But Sandler delivers one of the best male performances of the year. Easily the best of his career. I love him in Punch Drunk Love, but this is a whole nother thing. Um, 
This film's pace is nonstop, and Howard never catches a break, so the audience doesn't catch a break either, and because of that, the pacing of this film is wildly, crazily fast and awesome. Kind of like every turn that the character takes, the audience is peeking around and dreading what's on the other side, and I think that really puts <laughs> what is what puts us on the side of Howard. It's like, because if something bad happens to Howard, means we have to sit through it and watch it, it means that we're on Howard's side. Um... And the Safdie brothers, like you said, their ability to use non-professional actors anchors the film with Julia Fox and Kevin Garnett, who are both fantastic in the film. Um, for a film like this to work, the script has to be airtight, and it definitely is. The way that people are always talking over each other and constantly yelling and the sound mixing that comes from that and the sound editing is so perfect at that. And also a slam dunk of an ending, a, a picture perfect ending. One of the best scenes of the year with, uh, all I'll call it is, uh, are you having a good time scene is so great. And I love this film so much. If you can still see it on a big screen, go and do it. If you can't wait for it to come on VOD and watch this. Mm. Yes, absolutely. I agree. All right. Top three of the year. All right. My number three movie of the year is Marriage Story, mm. which Floyd has already talked about, but is a film that I just absolutely adore to death. I've seen it. Um, two times. Um, honestly, out of all the movies this year, this feels like the most rewatchable. As soon as I finished it, I wanted to watch it again. Although it is heartbreaking, and I, I did cry in it at multiple multiple moments, the just absolutely stunning acting from Driver and Johansson. So good. And from Laura Dern and from Ray... Uh, I was going to say, I didn't even mention Laura Dern yeah. when I talked about she's going to win an Oscar. Uh, not Ray Romano, but... Uh, Ray Liotta. Uh, Ray Liotta. That somehow, like, w when a movie has acting that I connect to this much and I think is, like, that amazing, like, no matter, like, uh, um, how disturbing or how sad the movie is, like, on a certain level, I'm just smiling on the inside because I'm just so happy at how good of a movie it is. Mm -hmm. So yeah. even throughout the entire uh, argument scene where I was heartbroken, I was also just so in tune with every single bit of movement. Bombeck talked about how the blocking was so specific because... I mean, coming out of the film, I didn't. I, I wasn't sure maybe if he used like a bit more, let them improvise a bit, because that's how natural it feels. You know what I mean? Mm, that the dialogue feels so natural. Yes, it, but he said everything was intensely rehearsed. The uh, argument scene, all the blocking, all the movements were so rehearsed, and it feels completely natural. Like you said, um, this movie definitely does not take sides. Both characters um, do equal. You know, uh, you know, bad things in the relationship. Both are both definitely are to blame, but both but it's both are human. You know what I mean? The, oh yeah, for the sure. mistakes feel so human. Everything this just feels like a human movie. Um, Adam Driver, I think, gives the best performance, male or female, this year. I mm -hmm. think he is insane. It's it just insanely good. Um, he's gonna win an Oscar at some point. If not for this movie, he he is a good enough actor that every year he's turning out good work. He'll win an Oscar eventually. Yes. Um, it is a shame. That he will probably lose. Are you are you predicting Phoenix? Oh or, yeah, for sure. Yeah. It is a shame, in my opinion, that he will lose to Phoenix. I, I think Phoenix that, is winning everything, right? Yeah, I, I think that he is just vastly superior. Adam Driver is just a brilliant actor. How sure. natural of a person he feels, and he completely fits the role of his mm -hmm. dad because he is such a dad-looking person. All of mm -hmm. others, all of his other movies. Kylo Ren. Yes. In addition to being heartbreaking, this movie is hilarious. One of the funniest scenes of this entire year is the evaluator sequence. Mm -hmm. Um. Oh, man. What a harrowing scene. Yes. It, it, it's also... It, it's 
like the Squid and the Whale, Bombax's other movie about divorce, about divorce, it it isn't it. it isn't a very shove it down your throat sad movie. It is mm-hmm. a very it, it's sad in the quiet moments. You know, it's sad when they're pushing the gate, when they're closing it, and they're on opposite sides. When no di- when ending. no dialogue is being spoken, the ending, yes, but it still lives leaves you with a hope. I mean, much has been said about how this is a. Uh, a movie of of a dissolution of a marriage, but a family staying together, and I think it is a, a beautiful story. And yeah. um, I want to play a clip here of one of my favorite scenes of the year: um, Adam Driver uh, singing uh, ah, this absolutely alive. heartbreaking song, turning this song "Being Alive" into a relatable song about his character. Um, absolutely stunning scene. Here it is. Blow out the candles, Robert, and make a wish. Want something? something somebody hold me too close somebody hurt me too deep somebody sit in my chair and ruin my sleep and make me aware of being alive being alive Somebody need me too much Somebody know me too well Somebody pull me up short And put me through hell And give me support For being alive Make me alive Make me alive Make me confused Mock me with praise Let me be used Very my days But alone Is alone Not alive Somebody crowd me with love Somebody force me to care Somebody make me come through I'll always be there As frightened as you To help us survive Being alive Being alive Being alive Yeah, I just wanted to add one more thing. The the scene where where he ultimately reads the letter kind of kind of puts him in this place where the Charlie character hasn't moved on yet, um, but the Nicole character has, and it has this just it's just so so sad. And it, what what's interesting though is that I mean I don't know what the actual real life story was, but it seems like just from looking I I just real quick when I was writing up my write ups for both Little Women. And um, Marriage Store, if you don't know, Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach are, are together now and have a kid together now. Um, they started, so th- they filed for divorce, Jennifer Jason Lee and Noah Baumbach, in 2010. And then late 2011 was when Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach started uh, seeing each other. And it, it just kind of felt like the, the Noah character was the one who was having trouble moving on, even though it doesn't, I don't know. He, I, maybe, maybe at that point you're not 
we shouldn't tie too much to reality. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of hard to hard not to at the same time. Yes, absolutely. Um, so yeah. Um, but also, just like I did last time, I'm going to use a fun little clip to intro my number three film of the year, which I cannot believe is my number three film of the year. Blake, pick a man, bring your kit. I hoped today might be a good day. Hope is a dangerous thing. You have a brother in the 2nd Battalion. Yes, sir. They're walking into a trap. Your orders are to deliver a message calling off tomorrow morning's attack. If you fail, it will be a massacre. Let's talk about this for a minute. Why? We've got orders to cross here. That is the German front line. If we're not clever about this, no one will get to your brother. I will. There is only one way this ends. So as you heard there, 1917, directed by Sam Mendes, is my number three film of the year. Um, like I said, this is this is one of my favorite movies uh, of the year and of the decade and of all time. I just I love this film so much. Um, talk about needing to see a film on the big screen. I present to you the best theater going experience of the year. I've seen it twice now. It was as effective on second viewing. Um, we also talked about this film for a while on the last episode, along with Uncut Gems. So I'm not, uh, I'm not gonna go too too in depth. I'm not gonna have a whole soliloquy about it. But George Mackay and Dean Charles Chapman are the stars of this film. And like I've said a lot with this year, if their performances didn't work, this film would completely fall apart. Because no matter how good the technical aspects of this film, if the two leads do not aren't believable, this whole the the whole technical achievement is for nothing. But they are fantastic in this film. Um, this film is such a marvel production-wise. Um, the cinematography is one of the greatest accomplishments in cinematography I've ever seen. Uh, Roger Deakins 100% deserves his Oscar. The camera operating and the whole way they built this film in the production design way, where if you I don't know if you've watched any interviews about the film, um, literally Dean Charles Chapman, uh, George Mackay. Sam Mendes and Roger Deakins literally went out into a field and just rehearsed these. They rehearsed for six months. Mm. They would rehearse it, put stakes in the ground, and they built the trenches and the the film based on their rehearsals of like measuring out how long it took them to go through the scene. And it's just like this film is such a marvel production wise and technically that I understand if Mendes wins director and this film wins picture. Like it's not my vote. Like if I if I had a vote, it wouldn't be my vote for either of those categories. But like, it is so fantastic that I I understand, I get it. Um, like you said, I think um, the score of this film is gorgeous. I love it so much. It's so sad and melancholy, but also then big and bombastic when it needs to be. Um, like you said, the cinematography itself um, <clears throat> of a shot that kind of goes out of a window 
and then just overlooks this rubble of a town getting lit by um, flares literally made me cry. Just the mix of the music and the um, cinematography along with kind of the, uh, I don't know how to put this without being a spoiler, like the, the re, um, restart of the journey almost where it's like the journey might be coming to an end but then it's kind of like this new burst of energy and it's just this swelling amazing moment it, it is truly a masterpiece in film the filmmaking craft like the craft of filmmaking is so on display here this one shot people are talking about it being a gimmick it is not a gimmick it is fully a part of this film i think this film will hold up to the test of time unlike his film that won best picture 20 years ago american beauty I personally still think it's one of the best films ever made, but I know that a lot of people have problems with that film, specifically Kevin Spacey, which is understandable. Um, the dude's a piece of shit. It's another film that I bawled at the end of. The first wave scene at the end is my pick for scene of the year. If you've seen the film, you know what I'm talking mm -hmm. about. This this one port last like 10 minutes of the film is so moving. And I know a lot of people's um, criticism of the film is that it feels very devoid from the main character and that's very kind of just emotionless and i i couldn't agree more this this moment of culmination just felt so connected to this character um that is running across this field really finishing this journey trying to do it for for the sake of his country and for himself and for everyone else on that battlefield it's uh, amazing wholly emotional film and the i would say the the filmmaking achievement of the year yeah amazing scene tears streaming down my face <laughs> Uh, speaking of crying, my number two pick of the year, the film I cried the most in we this year. We love crying. We love crying. Little Women. Oh, I balled in this movie, my friend. I balled. I was wondering if this or your one would be your number one. Yeah, so this was probably my most anticipated movie of the year. Um, I loved Lady Bird to death. I love that movie so much. It's I think it's one of the most rewatchable movies I've ever seen. I've seen it like six times. It's interesting. I need to rewatch it. I haven't seen it since theaters. I love a good coming of age story and that that film just hits all those takes all those notches for me. Um and this one does as well in a bit of a different way. Um I was not familiar with the Little Women uh book, the story going into it, so I was one of those people when the movie ended, I was outraged, <laughs> you know, at the, at the conclusion of it, which I think everyone is. But See, then I, I knew going in. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen it before, but it was spoiled for me. So like I was more accepting of it. But like you said, the way that Gerwig balances audience expectations, Louisa May, Louisa May Alcott's ending for the book, Louisa May Alcott's preferred ending for the book, how she... Real life story. That all, real life story. How she meshes that all together to create a meta, somehow completely crowd-pleasing ending is brilliant. I thought this it's movie... It's like she uses the crowd-pleasing aspect of it to like be like, you dumb audience, crowd yes. this crowd-pleasing ending while still giving us the crowd-pleasing crowd ending. ending. Yes. This movie, I think, has a, just an absolutely stunning cast. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. I think this... It's just oh, a deeply emotional movie. From the very beginning of the movie, the scene where they just, like... For the, you know, really introduce all the characters when they're putting it on the show. Mm -hmm. I cried in that scene. Really? I just felt so connected to all these people. I know you you said that the, the uses of flashbacks was a bit disorienting for you. Occasionally. It yeah. wasn't always the case. And, like, really once I started understanding the way the color um, temperatures were different in the two scenes, like, the, the flashbacks were more warm, the flash forwards were more cool. I got there eventually, but, like, the first time it happened, I was like, mm, where are we? Yeah, yeah. I... Uh, 
I was also a little bit confused at times. For, for me, it never felt disorienting. It always felt like I was just digging deeper into these characters. It was never taking me out of the story. It was only pushing me farther in. Um, yeah, obviously it wasn't enough for it yeah, to yeah. hurt. The, it's still in my top yes, yes, yes. Timothy Chalamet in this movie. Heartthrob <sighs> Timothy Chalamet in this movie. I love Timothy Chalamet to death. He's one of my favorite actors. He is brilliant and... Oh, the scene in this movie that is in the trailer, um, where him and Joe kind of mm, have this the, yes. the, the climax of their uh, of their character relationship. It's oh, like, so such a great relatable scene to anyone anyone being young this, and in love. And what I, this is what I loved about this movie how you know set in uh, what the the nineteenth no it's it's uh, like the, 18, 18, late eighteen sixties it's right no, that's oh, it's right. during the Civil War yes it's during the Civil War late eighteen sixties how it feels both very you know historical grounded in that time you know proper costumes and such it feels like a modern tale it never feels mm -hmm. like a stuffy historical piece yeah something about the way it's shot i don't know there it's it's, it's alive yes. it's alive in ways that other films it's from that such time a are. dynamic film from the beginning of the movie when saoirse ronan's character is running through the streets mm -hmm. and i i don't know if it's the uh the frame speed or something is played with a bit so it looks like choppier it's just it looks... It's putting things in front of the camera on a close-up. It's going to make it look choppier. Yes, yes, exactly that. Uh, the film student over here. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I I thought it was such... It felt like such a modern film. And Florence Pugh, amazing in this movie. Best supporting actress. Just th the one line she gives in the beginning of the movie where she goes, it's Laurie. I yeah. just think it's just... There's so much like meaning yeah. in that line when you finish the movie. Mm -hmm. It is a brilliant story. I love this movie to pieces. I can't wait to see what Gerwig does next. Yes. Man, two and three, Baumbach and Greta. Those, that's a, that's a yes. power couple for you right there. Yes, and number one will have a connection as well. Alrighty, so number two for me is a film that we've already talked about. Is That is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, I was really, really close to switching this with 1917. But I decided to give it to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. This is one of Tarantino's best films, if his, if not the best. Um, I love *Inglorious Bastards* as well. Um, the other revisionist history film of his, uh, of note. Um, I feel the love coming off the screen for both Hollywood and the time period that um, that we are exploring here, which is the time period that uh, Tarantino grew up in Hollywood. This film feels like an older man looking back on what he admired at the time of his childhood, which is a very, very emotional and deeply relatable uh, feeling. Uh, Cliff and Rick have one of the best bromances ever in film, ever. Um, it is such a joy to be able to just watch them interact with the world and each other for the first hour and a half of this film. And I, I, I truly think that this is, you have to love Hollywood and film and filmmaking in general to really appreciate this film. And I certainly do, and I felt completely. I felt that love that he felt. You know what I'm saying? Like, like the the reverence for the industry and that kind of thing. And as someone who's working my way there, instead of looking back, I felt, I felt that. I really enjoyed that. Um, the scene between Julia Butters' character and Leonardo DiCaprio's character when they're sitting, talking, when he says, "You're gonna be living it in 15 years." Like I. I, I love there's so many great scenes that I can't list them all off now but that the scene you played the comeback scene after that when he is when he shows up and has actually a really good performance um the way that um Lancer is shot 
like it's like a Tarant like Tarantino shooting the episode of Lancer, yes, and then yes. it cuts you out of it yes. once once he kind of breaks the character and needs the line. Um, <laughs> like I, I love the way this film is shot. The production design of this film is impeccable. The fact that the the Oscars gonna have to choose between this and 1917 for best production design, like give it to both of them. Just give it to both of them. Give them both trophies. They both deserve it. Once you get uh, get into the real world, real real world characters beyond Cliff and Rick, who aren't real characters, I think Tarantino does an incredible job of showing the power of cinema through them. I know this sounds really heady, but like to be able to bring back the dead in a very cathartic again, mm. another word that I keep coming back to in a very cathartic, emotional way, uh, is it, very moving. And while the ending is aggressively violent in some ways i don't love some of the aggression that is there in the violence at the same time knowing what these people did in real life and if you haven't seen this film this is implication spoilers but i'm not going to explicitly say anything to see that happen to them felt so necessary for this time like the way that Again, what these people stood for in that time is once again relevant. Especially Charles Manchin died with a swastika on his forehead. You know what I'm saying? Like, to be able to see these characters get their comeuppance in a way that only cinema can produce. There is no other comeuppance that, unfortunately, that Sharon Tate can have other than that horrible thing being reverted and something else happening in its place. And it's it's... Something that kind of just, it it, it kind of works me up now just thinking about just like, this this film shows the power of cinema in a very in a very great way, and not to get too heady on it, uh, but to pull back a little bit, all three of the leads are fantastic, uh, Pitt, uh, Robbie, and DiCaprio, Tarantino's script should win Best Original Screenplay, um, his directing deserves his nominations, production design, like I said, is next level, um, I love this film. Uh, I have a poster of it now in my room, sitting directly uh, directly above us right now. Um, it is it is a truly fantastic work of art, and uh, here's a little clip from it. I'm Rick Dalton. It's my pleasure, Mr. Schwartz. Call me Marvin. Put it there. That's your son? No, that's my stunt double, Cliff Booth. Last night we watched a Rick Dalton double feature. <laughs> oh, the shooting. <laughs> I love that stuff, you know, with the killing. A lot of killing. Anybody order fried sauerkraut? Crown you Nazi bastard! Are you an actor? No, I'm a stuntman. Look at me! So you still direct, huh? Still here. You can do anything you want to him. I hired you to be an actor, Rick. Not a TV cowboy. You're better than that. <laughs> line cut embarrass yourself like that in front of all those goddamn people all right what's the matter partner it's official old buddy and has been here i am flat on my ass who i got living next door to me 
I'm Sharon Tate. I'm in the movie. You're in this? That's me. I play Miss Carlson, the klutz. In this town, I can all change like that. Hey! You're Rick fucking Dalton. Don't you forget it. Alrighty. Folks. We, big. we have made it there. We are at the number one, the number one movie of 2019. You know what I smell, though? I smell a debate. <laughs> I, I think I'm kind of catching a whiff of contention. <laughs> <laughs> this, 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 this is one of the first times ever, I think. I think you didn't love Get Out, but I don't think you disliked Get Out. I think no. this is the first time that one of us has had a number one that the other one hated. It just vehemently disagrees with. Yeah. Yes. Um... A film that is nowhere near Ryan Floyd's top 20. No. Near my bottom five. Yes. <laughs> In fact, the horror masterpiece, Midsummer. <laughs> Floyd is reeling. I love this movie to death. Um, I saw this movie with Floyd for the first time in this very spot where we are yes. recording. And I watched this man's reactions sour as the movie went on <laughs> it was it started good too <laughs> yeah. if you go back and listen to our review from the beginning of this movie i knew that this was going to be the film like the number one movie of the year from start to finish i was never i was never not engaged with this movie this has the probably the best beginning like the best opening scene of uh, of any of any movie this year, I think. I, I'm not gonna argue on that. I love the beginning of this film. It's brilliant. It is a such a um, example of economical storytelling. It's a beautiful uh, short film. In yeah, its own no, right. completely. Yes, and just the unnerving aspects, the uh, the the camera angles, and the sound design. I wasn't a huge fan of Hereditary, but he brings a lot of those very unnerving uh, elements back. Turns it into a folk horror masterpiece a uh, horror film shot almost entirely in the daylight very bold very uh, bold choice aspect of the film yeah production design of this movie is off the charts and Florence Pugh returning after Little Women to just knock it out of the park with this performance a trippy ambient atmospheric terrifying and deeply disturbing movie also hilarious very comical movie um the uh, oh, the guy from the Good Place. Um, oh, I'm blanking you know, on his character, but he he played one of the uh, graduate students. I was say, I'm not sure quite. I don't know TV very well, so I don't know which actor you're talking about. Yes, um, but uh, he was fantastic in this movie. Uh, uh, definitely, like uh, a lot of fantastic. Uh, Any just, of those names uh, ring a bell? Uh, William Jackson Harper. Okay. Uh, very. The, all the all the humor felt so natural and just in the dialogue, not just explicit, like standing out, like so blatant. I just thought it was wonderful. And the this I, I cried in this movie. I didn't cry the first time I saw it, but the second time I saw it in theaters, I cried at the ending because I think it is so powerful. And I know Floyd has problems with it, but no, I hate it. He hates it, in fact. But the way that they it's a twisted story. It is a For absolutely sure. yeah. twisted story, but I completely bought it. And I completely bought how Florence Pugh's character arc, how this grief, how this depression, how the pent-up emotions from this, from her relationship with Jack Rayner, who's fantastic in this movie, who they should not be together. I love this, Jack Rayner. Yes, this is a relationship that should not happen. Oh, yeah, for um, sure. 
how in the ending they twist that and give you a perverse sense of satisfaction where in some sense you're like happy and cheering but then you're like oh wait this is really fucked up and the way that this cult twists the grief and turns her into something else i think is brilliant and i love how it allows you to feel two two very different um um interpretations to the end this movie blew my mind i thought the sound design was beautiful um i never thought that the movie for as weird as it was got away from itself um I, I thought that all the scary, just outlandish scenes were um, so grounded in beautiful production design and beautiful acting, and I always felt compelled with the characters. Um, absolute masterpiece. Um, Robert Eggers and Ari Aster, their, their horror movies that are coming out are just... I just... I think are going to be so iconic later on. Like, I just... What I always think about is, like, how like what how movies will be talked about in the future movies that came out now and i sure. can just imagine you know the, the box set of like you know what if they make like another movie both of them that's equally as fantastic the trilogy you know the eggers trilogy and like the ari aster trilogy it just makes me so happy to see this fantastic um surreal abstract genre of horror coming back i think it's amazing do you have a clip for this or should i uh, no, you can go okay. into that. Yes. All right, so I'm just going to have a short rebuttal because we had a whole ass argument on this <laughs> already for about an hour. Um, so I'm going to start where I can effusively praise this film, which is the cinematography and the production design. Um, I, every year, like a nerd, do my own Oscar list, you know, like what my own nominations would be. It was on the list for best cinematography. Not going to argue that at all. As always, the queen, Florence Pugh, can do no wrong. She is fantastic in the film. Um, the intercutting of traumatic events that occurred through the audience, uh, occurred throughout the film, uh, really stayed with me. Um, all that being said, yeah, I, I, I hate this film. Um, I hate the ending. Um, it's a technical achievement. I'll give you that. Um, but like I said in that podcast, I really don't, can you stop writing your own scripts, Ari Aster? Because you're writing the same thing over again with just different skins on it. And it's just, it's really frustrating. Like, I liked Hereditary. And then I watched this movie and I was like, oh, I like Hereditary less because it's obvious that this is the only idea that you have. But yeah, I like, it's this, the ending is so frustrating. And so just, I, I felt like the opposite of what you felt the entire time. And that was very clear when we were watching it. Like, <laughs> when we were watching it, I was like, nah, fucking no. And you were like, oh my god, this is amazing. And it was just such a weird viewing experience of one person completely clicking into the film and the only other person in the room completely checking out of the film. Like, it was it was such a fun experience on top of that, just that experience alone. Um, yeah, I, I mean, all the characters are, were super hollow for me. Um, and the relationship by the end was just frustrating, and I thought it was very predictable. Um, and I, it felt like a remake of Hereditary. Um, but yeah, I think Ari Aster is a talented director. I don't think he's a talented writer. So we're going to leave it at that. That's all I'm going to say. Um, no, I might have said even too much, because it's supposed to be positive, Ryan. What are you doing? Stop getting negative. Um, coming in at number one. What else would it be? Parasite by Bong Joon-ho yes, is my number one film of 2019. No other film this year. Despite Ready or Not and Knives Out kind of playing on the same film, uh, theme, no other film is 2019 like Parasite. 
Uh, this film perfectly plays on every expectations you have going in and from the setup of the film. Like you said, the first 40 minutes, it like Bong Joon-ho purposely slows down the film to the point where you're like, what, like fucking, what are you doing, man? And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, oh yeah, that's exactly the emotion I wanted you to be feeling because I'm doing this. And when he's, what this is, oh, this film is going one way and then it's so unpredictable. You'll never be able to do it. I'm like, I bet I can because I'm that kind of person. And I was like, I bet this is going to happen. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, I was, I, 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 I didn't see that one. <laughs> um, and uh, Bong Joon-ho's direction is is superb in this film. And he should win Best Director. Um, even though if it goes to Sam Mendes, again, no, quab- no quabbles here. Um, this movie, the entire film, is sitting on the very tip of like a razor or a ballpoint pen and just perfectly balanced. Just like it could one one speck of dust on one side or the other and this thing falls apart. But Bong Joon-ho's direction and writing is so pure. This film works perfectly. It juggles tone throughout. Like you said, it's a hysterical film. Mm-hmm. Like there's one moment, like specifically a kick of someone getting kicked down a stairs, which is so brutal, but also, like, hysterical. Like, it's one of those laughs where you, you're laughing, you're like, oh, I should not be laughing at this, but this is hysterical. Mm-hmm. All the characters feel so real, despite the craziness of the plot. Um, and the ensemble cast, this won the Ensemble Award at the SAG. And it That's full- great. Definitely deserves it. Song Kang-ho, though, who plays the father of the family, is so good. It's so frustrating to see really, like, the farewell and this film, I would I consider the fell farewell, even though it's not in that considered in this category to be a foreign language film. Um, I'd say like eighty percent of the dialogue is probably in Chinese. And to see Song Kang Ho, Aquafina, and Xiao Xu Zhen all get snubbed from the Oscars is really frustrating. Like just because they're performing in a different language doesn't mean they're not worthy. And I've heard the main actresses in Portrait of a Lady on Fire also were fantastic and just because they're speaking French they didn't get nominated for an Oscar it's very frustrating but like I said all the sporting actors actors are so good the uh, Chow Wooks uh, I don't have the name in front of me I thought I had it memorized but I don't the girl who plays the daughter is also fantastic it was one of my choices so for a supporting actress this year she was fantastic um, the film does such an amazing job of like twisting scenes to like there's a scene similar to a scene similar uh, scene in the beginning similar to one at the end and it completely changes it. Um, I love it. There is one truly horrifying shot that just made my skin crawl um, when talking about an experience that the son had uh, of the fam of the uh, the rich family. This film is all about the have and the have nots and the way that um, it's 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 a Korean film and it's touching on Korean issues. But at the same time, the haves obsession with the have-nots and the way they praise them, uh, they kind of praise them in one way, like one specific character, felt very American to me in the way, not to get too political, but the way that certain subgroup of people really praise one specific person in power. And just the, w- the way the one character keeps yelling respect, I, it, it felt... Maybe it's just a universal thing at this point. It's not just an American or Korean thing. It's just this thing uh, that is happening in this world that is so, so relatable, and I love it. Yet on top of of that, it's a technical achievement of this film. The technical achievement of this film, not only in terms of production design, cinematography is great, but the real achievement of this film, unlike 1917, is the story, the acting, and the directing. 
not unlike 1917, but like the story itself is much deeper and more complex, obviously, than 1917. Um, this film was wholly unique. The director, uh, the direction it goes in is so way out there on the idea of class warfare. Like he came up with this idea on, while he was working on Snowpiercer, which I don't know if you've seen that film. I have. Um, very different film, also deeply about class warfare, more literal class warfare in that film, literally where Chris Evans is picking up an axe and killing the rich people, you know? Um, but it, it, it's more of a universal how real world class warfare and how distinctions in class really affect people um, and lead them to do things that they wouldn't have done otherwise. And I like how morally messy this film is in terms of who the good guys and who the bad guys are. And honestly, they're kind of all bad guys, I would say. In their own right. Mm-hmm. What, what I like, actually, what I would want to say about this film is like, every character is gray. There is no good and bad. Mm-hmm. Like this, there's like you go into the film thinking, oh, the poor family is going to be good and the rich family is going to be bad. It's not that clean. Mm-hmm. Like, and each of the characters make good and bad decisions throughout the film, um, and I, I love that because that's that's again that feels real. Like mm-hmm. no no one no person is yeah. pure good, pure it, bad. It's not it's not murky. You know it it because it, it gives you a reason. It shows you the society. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's it's another shocker of an ending. Mm. Like when when Okay, so there's there's a couple a lot of a lot to do is with height in this film with stairs. There is one incredible sequence where the cinematography is just amazing of our characters descending just constantly down these flight of stairs to the point where they are um in the slums where they live and it's just flooded. And they're descending once again into their house that's in a basement already. And it's just this spiral sequence of the stairs. I love that. And there's stairs that are used within the house that are truly effective. And it's when those people who were below come up. And the consequences of that in terms of the breaking down of society. In a violent way, but also in a way that feels natural in some ways like a natural anger that is being released is is really really effective and the final shot of the film is up for debate i think of whether or not it's real or not which i love i love when films do that um i don't know if you have a specific take on whether or not the the last shot of the film is real i think it's real you think it's real um definitely in either way it's uh it's a hell of a film Mm. and uh yeah so that is the films of the year for us, Midsommar and Parasite are our number ones of the year. Um, a lot of overlap in this list, some disagreement. Um, I feel like just reflecting on our list a little bit, especially for myself, um, I'm super mainstream this year. Last year, I was super not. Uh, I had three Best Pictures on my list last year, Best Picture nominees, and this year I have all but Ford v. Ferrari, which I was not a fan of. Um, yeah, last year's Oscar noms were... Not that strong. <laughs> just looking back on it, like last year just wasn't a strong year for Oscar cinema, mm-hmm. Oscar style cinema. And I think this year was like it, the fact that my top three are the three front runners for best picture. I, I can think like I, I, I'm super chalky this year. Yeah. Write me in. Write into me. Tell, tell me why I'm wrong. Twistamugmedia <laughs> at gmail.com. Um, but yeah, so if is there anything that you wanted to reflect on the list? Yeah, I agree with you. My list last year was uh, similar in that respect. This year, I mean, like I said, was 
I didn't get to see a lot of movies I wanted to see, but still, I mean, I saw some fantastic ones. So I'm trying to think. So we started this in 2017. This is yes. our third year yes. doing this. So Many more to come. So Blade Runner 2049, First Reformed, and now Midsummer. Those are, those are my three. Do you know what yours are? My three were Get Out, The Sisters Brothers, and uh, Parasite. The Sisters Brothers, that's right. Yeah, The Sisters Brothers was my number one of last year. Um, would not be, if that movie came out this year, it'd probably be around my, like, six or seven. Really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it'd probably be my number six, I would say. Probably above that. Or, it, it, it's, I'd have to struggle with that or Ad Astra. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, last year just wasn't, there just weren't films that I loved quite the way I loved the films this year. No, yeah, I agree. Last year was a little bit lackluster. There was a lot of really good movies last year, but no great movies, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, First Reform was a great one for me, but I, I can see what you're saying, yes. I, I completely Like, agree. there was no film, like, even, like, Uncut Gems that I left just fully riveted. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yes. Unlike, uh, besides First Reform for you. Yeah. Which, which I liked, I liked First Reform. Yeah, I love that film to death. Um, um, but I think next year, we'll, looking ahead, I think next year will prove to be brilliant. I mean, we've all right. got... I'm saying right now, Dune's gonna be my number one of the year. I'm saying it right now, and if it's not true, if I hate the movie, I'm going to be really bummed, but I want everyone to know right now that I'm going into the year with the expectation that Dune is my favorite movie of and all I'm time. And I'm literally going to say that that is exactly my stance as well, because Blade Runner 2049 was my number one of the year. Denny Villeneuve is my favorite working act, uh, director right now. He makes incredible films. The cast that he has for this, Roger Deakins, this world that he's going to be building, oh my god, I am so excited. Can I see this movie now? If we would have done this best 20 thing in 2016, Arrival might have been number one. <laughs> Arrival would have been my number two. Yeah. It, 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 brilliant films. Dude, next year, the directors, Spielberg with West Side Story. Ugh. Which is close to the heart for both of us because we did that in high school. There's going to be some tears. Oh, oh, yeah. Wes Anderson. Uh, um, the French Dispatch, which yes. is apparently five hours long. So apparently that's been debunked. They just released oh, okay. an official synopsis and it's not. But it's an ode to journalism in France. Okay. So quirky symmetrical you know anderson goodness yeah and i'm not we've talked about this before i'm not a huge wes anderson fan yeah but i'm gonna see it i'm gonna see it with an open mind spielberg anderson villeneuve does does del toro's movie come out nightmare alley next year i think it does because production is starting uh like next week if it's so. not this coming year it's gonna be the year after but you're forgetting the big one tenant oh my god nolan five gigantic directors this is going spike to be lee Spike Lee, David Fincher. Oh my God! This is going to be a just absolute whopper house of. Uh, I am so excited. Mm-hmm. A, a tenant is going to be a like you know as it always is with Nolan a movie mm-hmm. event. Mm-hmm. I would say my number two most anticipated behind Dune is probably Mank by David Fincher. Yeah, about I'm um, to see that. the writer of Citizen Kane, starring Gary Oldman. Yeah. Um, I, I, there are so many good movies. Very excited for Spike, uh, Spike Lee's film. I forget what the name of it is, but it's about Vietnam vet- veterans. Mm-hmm. I um, forget the name And the too. cast is great. I'm very excited. I think Chadwick uh, Boseman, uh, Jonathan Majors. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm very, I'm, th- the next year, this coming year, seems like it's going to be a good one. Oh, it's going to be a good year. Um, it, it might not live up to this year. Like this year, this year was probably my favorite year of the decade, of this past decade. Then again, like we talked, I think we talked about this off mic. I don't know if we talked about it on mic. I really started getting like watching like over fifty films per year in twenty sixteen, mm-hmm. and so my my twenty sixteen to twenty nineteen those four years I feel pretty good about, but twenty ten to twenty fifteen I was still growing up and still maturing at that point. I didn't quite see as many films. The same here. Yeah. So Completely. we need to, that's why 
this is coming out now and our top 25 of the decades coming out a few months from now is because we need to go back and catch up. Like I haven't seen Tree of Life or Inside Lewin Davis or It's Such a Beautiful Day and I need to do that. So. Yeah. Um, so this was a long ass episode. Before Raw audio, this is t- almost two and a half hours without the clips. So this is going to be a, a really, really long episode. Um, yeah, if you're listening, still listening, thanks for sticking with us. This yeah. is like, we, we have so much fun doing this. Yeah, we, we honestly, like this could go for four hours and I would still release it because I don't care. It's the most fun we have recording yes. an episode every year. So, uh, Thank you so much for coming along on the journey with us. If you have any feedback, want to send us your list. Um, first of all, you can email us, twistedmugmedia at gmail.com. Go to our Twitter at twistedmugmedia. Go to our Instagram at twistedmugmedia, where you can contact us, comment on any of our posts. Um, if you want to check out what movies we're watching all the time, my letterbox is rfloyd17. Do you know what? Yours Mine is just Matt Monroy. Right? Matt Monroy, I believe. M-A-T. M-O-N-R-O-Y. Uh, so if you guys want to catch up on what movies we're watching, uh, we're always logging films. Um, I'm going through right now. I'm slowly going to try to watch through almost every Best Picture nominee. Um, so you can watch me along that journey where I'm going to keep a little diary of that. I've only watched two so far, but one has been really good. One has been not so good. Uh, go check out Wings from 1927 if you haven't. Um, so if you want to, you know, if you just want to follow along, um, send us your lists, you know, talk to us about our list. Tell us how wrong I am about Midsomar. Tell me how right I am about Midsomar. Um, and, uh, go follow us on social media as well. At yes. Twisted Mug Media on Twitter and Instagram. Yes. And, uh, Gmail, am I missing anything? I Letterbox, think I think we plugged everything. Yeah. Uh, this, this has been such a fun episode to do. This has yeah. been such a great year in cinema. And, um, we hope that you guys are going to go along on the journey with us. We are restarting the Cinema Talk podcast in the next few let's say in the next week, next week sure. or two, um, with Shazam. And we are really going to be trying hard to be giving you guys weekly content um, that we are all really proud of. Um, we love doing this. We love podcasting. It's it's really a fun outlet for us just to be able to do in our free time and to, to really give something, I think, it, even for myself, just to be able to go back and listen to the old episodes be like, yeah, we put we put work into this and that it's, it's a fun discussion that will be online for at least a decent amount of time quite nice yeah all right but yeah uh thanks for listening guys yep i'm ryan i'm matthew and uh keep on watching movies we'll talk to you soon see ya see ya